welcome back to Soundcheck. Uh, well, not this week. We're not doing alternative rock this week. And to uh, Michael's dismay, uh, we're talking about hair metal. Mm. And as I'm very excited, kind of. I wouldn't say very. I I have mixed feelings about this genre, as uh, as I feel many do. So pretty much, I wanted to do an episode about hair metal, kind of do, kind of going through it and seeing which bands are good, bad maybe somewhere in between and kind of help maybe define the genre a bit. Today, we actually have a very special guest here to help us do that. Uh, Would you like to introduce yourself? My name is Dave Clark. I'm the director of student media at CMU, otherwise known as the advisor of CM Life. And uh, I would say, I guess, a devout appreciator of uh, hair metal, which we can (laughs) discuss what a ridiculous term that is, but uh, (laughs) that's, that's okay. Thank you for having me here. Um, I actually want to thank both of you guys, uh, Andrew and Michael, because this is uh, quickly becoming one of my favorite podcasts that CM Life does because uh, I'm a music fan and uh, uh, you guys certainly have a lot of fun talking about music. (laughs) Um, You know, I think we should have gone with the original title, though. The original title for the podcast was... Uh, Andrew tells you why your favorite band sucks. <laughs> I don't remember that. And then tells you why bad religion is so great. Yeah, there's that too. Yeah, that too. Yeah, I don't remember that being a pitch. I guess it's a little long. That's probably why sound check <laughs> mm-hmm. worked. Any listeners out there probably just, I just have to talk to Dave on a regular basis. So I, I've after talking with him, I feel like in that title, we can replace Andrew with Dave Clark and it would actually still work perfectly <laughs> fine as well. Mm-hmm. So, That's true. Yeah. Anyway, so the reason why I said to Michael's dismay at the start, well, you know what, Michael, I would like you to, to start you talking be, about this. Okay. What was your relationship to, to, to hair rock, hair metal, whatever the hell you want to call it before? Yeah. Then? Okay. So a lot of people, especially I feel like in the Midwest, had parents, specifically dads, who really like this style of music. And growing up in my house, this I was not surrounded by this at all whatsoever. My dad in the 80s was following the Grateful Dead. My mom was more into um, her parents' records, which is early Motown, and then some funk thrown in there. And then later in the 80s, when she moved, got to college, she got into the college rock scene, you know, the REM, and then the alternative mm-hmm. stuff as well. Um, so this isn't something that I was surrounded by. You know, some some kids would be dancing to, you know, Twisted Sister or Whitesnake or something like that. I was dancing to the Pixies. So it it's not something I was always surrounded by until I started making friends and their their dads passed on th- this genre to them. And then they showed it to me. Um, and after all that filtering, like I didn't catch on to the. I guess not more underground ones, but the ones that aren't more commonly heard of, like the, you know, I guess Twisted Sister can be thrown in there, but like really it was only like, or like Poison or, you know, Rat or anything like that. Quiet Riot. For for me, it was like Bon Jovi, Guns N' Roses, and that's about it. Like, and then those were on Guitar Hero too. So like I played, I played that a lot. So like, and Motley Crue in there too. I was a big Motley Crue guy when I first got into the classic rock you get into as a young man. But like, as I grow older, um, especially now that I'm in college and I, and I kind of have free will to explore music on my own, uh, it's I grow further and further away from this type of rock and roll day by day. Uh, and and I, we had a phone call discussion a few hours ago. 
where I told you that I, I accidentally fell asleep listening to, I think it was Rat last night, <laughs> and I woke up with a stomach ache. I don't know why that is, <laughs> but I did. So I, I think my body was just rejecting it, and I... I I don't know. At the end of the day, I'm glad this happened, though, because I, I wanted this to happen. I told you I want to do this episode so I can I can f- firmly stand on the fact that, yeah, hair metal is not for me. And will sometimes cause you intestinal <laughs> distress. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you know, Michael, I really do appreciate you willing to do this episode for me because, mm-hmm. again, now this is where I, I go to embarrass myself in front of our listening audience. So. When I was, like, first getting, like, hardcore into music, for a long period of my life, like, probably up towards, like, even, like, like starting the eighth grade, I was, music was just something that didn't really interest me very much. Um, but probably towards the end of eighth grade is when I did start to really get into it. And pretty much there are three things that, like, really grabbed me. That would be the Beatles, pop punk, and... <laughs> Hard rock, specifically hair metal. Mm-hmm. Yes. Other than the Beatles, I didn't have the best start with music. <laughs> I don't think anybody does, though. Like, no. I, before really. I got into rock music, I was listening to Skrillex. Remember when everybody was into Skrillex in 2010? No, because no. I was never into Skrillex. <laughs> no. Like, everybody in my school was into Skrillex at one point in oh, their my life. Goodness. It's crazy. Oh. But yeah, so but you know that this 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 music is pretty much where I started. Like at one, except for maybe White Snake, there there was a point in my life where I was into every one of these bands. Now I probably absolutely hate half these bands, but you know, it's I guess musical taste development as time goes on. But yeah, the, the, a lot of these bands still hold very near near and dear to my heart. So that's why I really wanted to talk and just to say, hey, yeah, a lot of this music sucks, but there's some really good music in here too and um well someone who actually lived through this time time period um it's the senior citizen in the room yeah, well, i was I guess, trying so. to make it nicer sounding than that <laughs> but no this is the this is the music of my youth yeah. right so um this is you know i think i think great music and you know we'll debate what is great in this genre but um if anything um great music does a couple of things though i think uh and one of them is it sort of um stamps a date on it Mm -hmm. you know you go back and you listen to it like i said this is the music i listened to was popular while i was growing up so when i hear a song now i might not love the song i mean that you know the 13 year old me versus the the 47 year old me probably doesn't like uh the Motley Crue song the way I did when I was a, a little kid, mm-hmm. but it, it takes you back to that mm-hmm. time. So I, you know, when I hear one of those songs, I think about a girl or a place or a concert I went to or something like that. So, um, so I think in that respect, this is very much music of its time. It really wasn't created by people who are thinking about, wow, what's this going to sound like in 40 years? You know, it's very, um, it's very dated to like 1985, the sounds, the synthesizers, the drum sound, the production sound, all those things. So, um, so for me, it's, it's, um, it's reminiscing, you know, about my life. Mm-hmm. The other thing I think, particularly with, with the bands that you're going to talk about, the most successful bands of that time were really just pop bands. That's, we were just really writing pop songs and they had, you know, 
kind of a screechy singer, maybe of the high pitched singer that was always popular in kind of eighties metal. Um, but there's great hooks in there. There's great anthemic choruses. I don't think there's a, a band that you're going to mention that doesn't have a song like that, mm-hmm. um, that you might not know who sang it. You might not know um, what song it comes from, but you know that chorus because you've heard it uh, broadcast at football games mm-hmm. and basketball games and on commercials for Burger King and that kind of stuff. So, um, so really, when we think about this kind of music, it really is just kind of pop music, um, but with maybe a, a little bit more guitar up mm-hmm. front than, than maybe what we have now. I think it's very curious that, like you said, they're so widely played at like sporting events or arenas or or TV commercials. But lyrically, a lot of these songs are really raunchy. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was just telling Andrew, like, have you ever read the lyrics to Rocky Like a Hurricane? I I remember getting that. That did get some giggles. That's why they only sing the chorus. (laughs) I remember remember giggling at the lyrics when I was like 13. Once you see like a bunch of first graders singing Rocky like a hurricane, you're like, ooh, no. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Yeah, you know what? So to, I do genuinely like some of these bands, some, some songs in here. Never gonna say that lyrics have a strong suit of the genre. For they're probably among the consistently worst thing for, from each band onwards are the lyrics. They're net, they weren't. I like you they're 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 not even really a product of their time. It's just kind of like they they had it's kind of like like how country music is now, where they have a few set ideas and topics to sing about, and they don't really delve out much from there. I th- I, I actually, because I really wanted to understand this, so uh, yesterday my mom and I looked up at just a short YouTube documentary about 80s hair metal, right? And you got, And I'm trying to imagine, what are the core principles of wanting to get into this kind of music and wanting to get signed to a record making this kind of stuff? Is it to get girls? Is it to get money? Because that seems to be like a lot of the lyrical themes. Uh, Dave, do you believe that like any of these bands actually put like heart into their lyrics? <laughs> and that's not that's not like an insult. Like I'm actually curious. Like if if there's an example of that. Well, I I, I do mm-hmm. I do think so. And you know, and we'll probably get into this. I think when we talk about Motley Crue, because that's kind of okay. your that's kind of your guys, right? So we'll we'll talk about. I, I don't like Motley Crue very much. <laughs> okay, all right. You know, this is the genre that created the power ballad. Sure. So I think in that respect, yeah, there's some there's some like you know, I, I guess we'll say heart and soul that goes into those lyrics. Yeah. But but you know, there's like there's like ten other songs on that record Cause, too. Because <laughs> I did make an interesting like kind of uh, assumption or whatever, where it's like. There's there I listened to these albums because how I did this was I Andrew would recommend me the band's most popular album. I would go in and listen to it all the way through. And I'd see that there's these ten songs that kind of just all blend together and sound very similar, lyrically very similar. And then you got the one or two songs that are the power ballad. And it's always like that's when you see like kind of the the full force of the band. The full yeah. Something. You know, these are not very deep cats no. that are writing these lyrics either i mean you know i mean because you're talking about uh at that time they were probably 23 years old oh, yeah. so well, i don't know for the, for, to the to the guy who sings in poison every rose as a storm probably is pretty deep to the rest of us <laughs> we're kind of rolling our eyes and going all right come on man 
So you, you know what? Uh, can, can I ask you this, Michael? Mm-hmm. Um, do do you think are are lyrics like the most important thing to you when it comes to music? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, I was I was curious. I'm not not trying to insult you because you know, you know what I think of when, to lyrics when it comes to songs, um, and music. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like video games for me. Like, okay. You know what? If it has a good story to it, it has a good, a good story arc, and it actually works with like the gameplay and everything. Mm-hmm. You know what? That's, that's great. That, that's that's a bonus. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, I I care more about the gameplay. I care more. That's, it's a fun. That's to play. a great analogy. So, and when when it comes to lyrics, yeah, um, plenty of bands that I you know REM kind of comes to mind. Like the not only do they, I think I have a great singer. Do they have some good, you know. Musically, they have some good songwriting skills, but you know, a lot of a lot of Stipe's lyrics are also really poignant and really well written. Mm-hmm. So I, I is I think REM still might be a really good band without the lyrics, but they're certainly an addition. But th- even then, as long as I still think the music's enjoyable to listen to, even the lyrics aren't particularly well written, that I, I'm I'm more forgivable for bad lyrics. I'll still recognize that they're bad and I'll make fun of them, but mm-hmm. I still actually will probably enjoy the song nonetheless if the music. That's a very interesting take. And, you know, I think you mentioned a band like R.E.M. uh, and some of maybe the early alternative rock bands, um, Dinosaur Jr. Mm -hmm. um, You know, they were sort of looking at other higher art and sort of aspiring to try to get there. So Mm -hmm. I don't know whether it was, you know, Leonard Cohen or um, Nick Cave or someone like that. Yeah. But that's what they were looking to. And the hair metal guys never aspired to anything like that. They, they, at best, they looked at bands like the Rolling Stones. They looked at Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily emulating them, but those were largely the influences. And then there's, there's a few bands that are kind of on the cusp. Um, anybody who, who knows me a little bit knows I'm a, a huge Van Halen fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and they often get lumped in with hair metal too. They're a 1970s bar band that's got a little bit of Santana, a little bit of you know James Brown, a little bit of classical influence from Edward Van Halen. So that's not hair metal. Yeah, they were they no. were a 70s band that was finding success in the 80s, and they became kind of a template for a lot of these bands moving forward. Even to the point where they got a blonde lead singer. And everybody else has got to dye their hair brown, right? Mm. So just image-wise and just the look of it, they tried tried to emulate. Yeah. So so these guys were not looking to achieve, you know, statements with lyrics. There's there's was no, there wasn't a whole lot of poetry mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of those songs. But what they traded that for was the ability for everyone to find maybe a personal meaning in it. I mean, everybody. Um, maybe is not going to listen to bridge over troubled water or something like that and find it to be deeply meaningful. But some people will, um, these guys want, I mean, again, Motley Crue, what was theirs? Girls, girls, girls. That's what they wanted you to sing with them. Right. Yeah. And this was like, you know, the music for Friday night is you're getting ready to go out and maybe you're going to drive around in your car a little oh, bit absolutely. in the summertime. And, mm. and, um, I listened to rat while driving around with my brother and that was probably the, peak of like my listening experience where I'm like this is the right context to be listening to yeah, this music for with. sure like was, hanging out with the with my brother and driving around it was fun I yeah. was playing what, what was I playing I mean let's face it are we gonna cruise around and we're gonna listen to The Cure 
No, no, we're not going to do that. I remember when you we were driving down, da- when you were driving down last Friday, I, I wanted man came on my rat, and I was like, but it's like first of all, Michael just couldn't escape it at that point, <laughs> and then I just I was like cranked it up a little bit, it's like yeah, that's where I'm fucking jamming to. So, mm-hmm. and and this is music that sounds great in a car, it really does, yeah, it's, right? It's really, it really made does. to be listening to. There's so many speeding tickets, I'm sure that can be attributed <laughs> to, to, to kickstart my heart, man. How, right. how many? Like you got, you got to go like ten extra miles faster when that song comes on. Yeah. Anyways, and is um, that is that kind of sorry? One more point. Is that kind of like fitted in with the uh, the cassette era, perhaps, where it's like you put the cassette in the car and then you want to listen to that? Sure. I suppose going places. I yeah, know. and and you know just um, rock radio at mm-hmm. the time too. I mean, this was this was just. A, a presence for a good 10 years, even past, you know, in, into the uh, uh, early 90s, you just hear you'd hear stuff like ACDC and the Motley mm-hmm. Crews and Scorpions and stuff like that just on, on repeat, almost to the point where, you know, you can't stand it anymore. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, cassette, that was, um, that was definitely the technology of the time too. And they sounded... Um, I mean, everybody loves vinyl now, and I totally get that. Um, first of all, the records that are being put out sound a lot better. They're being made with a lot more, like, care and love sure. than, say, Atlantic did with a rat record, right? They didn't Just always floppy. sound good. Yeah. and they, I mean, Super floppy. So, um, so, yeah, cassettes, I think, helped with that um, and, and made that part of your, uh, uh, your driving routine if you were driving or if you're riding the bus to school. That was always fun to sit yeah. in the back and— blast this music at the bus driver this is gonna make me sound like such a child but like my the image that pops in my head is like you ever seen the so stranger things takes place uh, in the no, 80s i have not well like there's there's a couple scenes where it's like they'll pop in a cassette tape in the car and they'll be driving around listening to this kind of music and it's like that kind of goes hand in hand yeah. the, at the least du- if i'm imagining what the 80s was like the dude on season two of Stranger Things, the yeah, long haired guy, guy, the yeah. mullet guy, right? I mean, I think he was driving around listening to Rat in his mm-hmm. Camaro, right? Oh yeah, <laughs> that's the ultimate '80s moment, right there. there. He's got all the touchstones. Right. Yeah. So, so, but I, I have to say one thing though. We're, sure. we're talking about you know going back in time. No one ever used the term hair metal in the 80s, okay. okay? This is a this is a relatively recent invention. I'm not sure where it started. I tried to find online someplace that maybe uh is the origin for this term. I wasn't really able to find anything. Um but this was just hard rock. That's kind of what we called it. Now bands that were kind of more um I guess flashy or kind of dressed up like Poison when they first came out. If you look at that first record, I I remember going to was um, to look at the cat Look with the cat dragged in, yeah. right? So um, I remember going to the record store in Midland with one of my friends. He picked it up and he goes, these girls are beautiful. <laughs> it's a debut record. We didn't know who they were, mm-hmm. right? So these girls are beautiful. Um, so, um, you know, that kind of a band, we just would have called them like glam rock. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't like hair metal. Hair is a strange adjective to put on this right this is a music that has a lot of contradictions yeah, well, right? i wanted to bring this up too because you always make fun of the genre shoegaze and you think 
Yeah. And I explained to you where that term I, comes I, I from. Hate. It's because they look down at their shoes while it's they're a, playing it guitar. It's a stupid way to but name a genre. But this is kind of a stupid name to name a genre you know, as well. I, here's the thing. I, I don't like... So, like, we don't call... You, you mentioned your dad uh, toured with or, or followed the Grateful Dead, yeah. right? So we don't call that, like, hair psychedelia. Sure. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, there's, there's not... Uh, um, uh, your mom was was liking early alternative music, right? Sure. Like REM, right? It's not hair alternative, no. mm-hmm. right? It's not. It's this weird thing. It's a weird adjective because a lot of these bands had big hair, but you mentioned some that kind of get lumped in there. Yeah. Andrew, like Tesla and stuff. I mean, they didn't do anything. Here, here's been my big thing with the genre. Actually, the, the hair part is stupid, and I will agree with that. But like the biggest thing, I don't like the hell. I don't like that it's called glam metal or hair metal because to me, this doesn't. I have a very difficult time in lumping a lot of, like, even, like, like you know, Rat or Poison or or even, you know, Motley Crue along with Iron Maiden and Metallica. Like, I just feel like they're... Well, yeah, that's the second contradiction because this is not metal. No. Nothing in this music is metal except a little bit of the guitar tone, but even that compared to most what we know as metal bands yeah. sounds extremely thin weak it's much more melodic it's it's far less aggressive so when you look at the best metal bands that we that we kind of consider the classics going all the way back to black sabbath like master mm-hmm. reality mm-hmm. or a motorhead um early metallica all the way up to slayer um i mean those are very aggressive bands so to call this anything like metal is just very strange to me so the whole term itself is weird i think probably where this started Mm -hmm. was napster and limewire so as we're downloading these songs not that we would ever do that but (laughs) as we were downloading these songs because because a lot of these things right are out of print and they were never reissued again right so i mean somebody throws it up on on a sharing site and go okay well i I can finally get this Mm -hmm. um I think it was, you know, just having to type something in that category, that genre, right? So hard rock, heavy metal, you would occasionally see that with a a, a song that's downloaded. You see like a poison song. It was called heavy metal. You're like, no, no, it's not heavy metal. (laughs) And I think maybe somebody just said hair metal, you know, and that kind of became a thing. Um, Later on, and I think it was uh, kind of the mid 2000s, 2003, maybe, um, D. Snyder had a syndicated show. And it was called the House of Hair. And I think that also kind of, this kind of became the nomenclature of this is hair metal then. And wasn't there also like a like a compilation or something towards the end of the 90s? It was like ultimate like hair ballads or something. And I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, I saw that on Spotify, I think, actually. Yeah, but I I mean, please, I, I didn't like hop on my bike and drive, you know, ride over to the record store and say, I'm going to get some hair metal today. <laughs> It just did not happen. Mm-hmm. So it's it's still strange for me to hear the term and, and hear people talk about these bands I grew up with and 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 call them that because it's not anything I ever would have called. So what do we call them? Well, then? I, I call it hair rock because I don't want to call it like glam rock because then now you have to throw stuff like T-Rex and David the, Bowie and with Poison, which is disgraceful beyond all, everything else. So I, I say hair rock and I don't like that, but it's like that's the best thing I to my brain though it's what I call it. Just when I think of that aesthetic, the the word that comes to my mind is glamorous. So maybe I'd keep the glam word in there. Maybe, maybe call it eighties glam rock. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, you could you could certainly separate it by seventies because there's a big difference between oh, yeah. oh for sure faster pussycat and uh, T Rex mm-hmm. <laughs> or Mott the Hoople. 
<laughs> we did mention we we're going to talk about specific bands. We have 10 right in front of us, so don't waste much time. Again, what we're probably going to do, um, so I know I know Dave, something he mentioned that he thinks some of these bands aren't really in this whole 80s glam scene. So we'll, we'll have a brief discussion about the band, whether we think they belong in that. And then we'll just kind of give it our ratings. Um, so whether we think it's good, bad, or okay, and Michael's a little skewed since he really doesn't like the genre a ton. <laughs> so it's by his own standards. What, 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 what are your categories called again? <laughs> Don't hate me, Dave. Tolerable, gross, and god-awful. We're, we're probably closer than you think, actually. <laughs> well, maybe not so much with me. I, actually, I, I do think at least two of these are really good. Okay. At least two. <laughs> two, out, two out of how many? Ten. Okay, <laughs> Off to a great start. <laughs> I, it goes without saying, but I do respect you and your generation. You gave me Dinosaur Jr. It's just, God, this stuff is a trip. Well, and, you know, like like any sort of sweet confection, right? I mean, you really couldn't live off of this no. alone. I, I think did. that's what your problem was. We just, you kind of had to dive into, like, ten bands at once, yeah. or in your case, more than what you needed to, actually. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that you know, as these were, this was the new music that was coming out at the yeah. time. Obviously, every week there would be a new, you know, two or three records that were maybe worth checking out. But you know, there's still most kids probably were listening to um, a little bit of Led Zeppelin in there, sure. probably some Aerosmith, um, and then more towards the metal side. Which this was the time that really Judas Priest and Iron Maiden were just kind of owning metal mm-hmm. at that point. This is pre uh, Metallica. I think it, Shout Out the Devil, maybe came out the same year that Kill 'Em All did, hmm, or Too really? Fast for Love, maybe. I mean, it was right. I know uh, um, Kill 'Em All came out in '83, and '83 was also the US Festival, which was a big, massive concert. Wow. Okay. Um, and they were playing songs from, uh, well, Quiet Riot also there. Scorpions were on that bill, and Motley Crue was there as a LA like bar band who was playing in front of this crowd of, like, 300,000 people in California. It was pretty crazy. Mm. And the Mighty Van Halen headline that day. Well, who, out of that list, probably the only ones who could have. Yes. <laughs> who should have, actually. So, um, well, you mentioned the Scorpions, and that's kind of where I have a starting off at. So okay, I was surprised. The, the most surprising thing when I was looking at the Scorpions, um, by the way, for anyone who don't know, Scorpions, Rocky Like a Hurricane, Winds of Change, No One Like You. Those are the big, probably the big three songs for them. Still uh, loving you is a great song. Great Blackout. Um, oh, that was that was the Blackout was the first album I ever bought on vinyl. By the way, something I wanted to t- ask you: Why are so many of their album covers so unnecessarily disturbing? Like, if you look at Blackout, <laughs> you have like the weird like metal cloths coming out from his head bandages. It's like digging his eyes out of his flesh. You have what even the, like a live acoustic album is like some like head buried in sand that's being strangled to death by a bunch of RCA cables. And I don't even need to mention Virgin Killers, for Christ's sakes. So do, do you know any reason why they did that? Or was it just... Uh, no, they're just weird. <laughs> I don't know. Um, German, maybe? I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, the, I, I would say... Well, so, hair metal to you, correct? Um, I mean... Well, first of all, the, well, well, the interesting point I found out that there were like there there, there were like foreign the roots were formed back in 1965. Yeah, so they're they're I mean they're probably like in their 40s by the time that this 
definitely older guys. And when the reason I ask is because I think three of them are bald, <laughs> are, are pretty pretty close, are well on their way, like Hulk Hogan kind of bald, right? <laughs> so you're not you're not even trying to hide it anymore. Lots of bandanas and hats for them. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think of them as a '70s hard rock band akin to like Bon Scott era ACDC. So, so, so when Rocky Like a Hurricane comes around and they really kind of um, catch a little bit of acclaim because MTV, mm-hmm. you know, they finally had an outlet besides FM radio to like be out there in front of people and, um, and get heavy rotation on a song that again, anth- anthemic, mm-hmm. kind of fun to sing along to. Um, can't really understand the lyrics that well because the guy's got that heavy, very, heavy accent. accent. Yeah, that's something I wrote. I've always noticed about him that he has that really thick. He's one of those guys to really embrace the accent when he's saying. And you know what? I I, I do kind of agree with Dave in the sense that yeah, I I mean I've again mo- all these bands that I have listed there at some point I have lumped into that the, the the whole 80s glam scene because that's why I usually see them all. As I'm getting older, I really understood that they had. They, they've, you know, they've had roots, you know, making albums for well before then, you know, it, more, more or less. Yeah, I think the 70s blues rock, like they're probably something more akin to UFO than actually, um, you know, glam rock. And, and I mean, I would I would definitely say that um, there are there are some other bands to um, like them. Um, bad company coming to mind that during the 80s, they did sort of try to reform, kind of uh, mix up the formula a little bit mm-hmm. and try to embrace what was happening at that moment to sound more contemporary. They didn't want to sound like it was a record that was recorded in 1975 because at that point, um, synthesizers, Simmons drums, those electronic drums that sound very like 1984, you kind of hear those on a song. You're like, Oh, I know where that was recorded. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they did incorporate that stuff into their music to sell records. And, you know, this was a time when every one of these bands, I think, probably had a platinum record every time they released something, even the kind of the down records. Sure. So they were making mm-hmm. so much money. And that was that's really the goal. I think uh, a Scorpions or, or someone like that would have been chasing was just to, to mm-hmm. make make some dough. Um, but, you know, they so they did similar things. They'd wear the fashion of the time, you know, the spandex and all that other silly stuff. And then um, most notably. Still Loving You is probably um, power ballad for them. Winds of Change later on, some of those kind of mm-hmm. things. So they definitely were using some of the same tricks yeah. that the other bands had kind of pioneered. But, but to me, to call them a hair metal band is, is a little off. Yeah, you know, you mentioned Blackout earlier, and I was, when I was, you know, I remember when I first heard that, it's like, you know, yeah, you know, the, the self-titled song to that one, Dynamite, is a great deep cut from that record. And... You know, when you listen to that, yeah, it is more, it's fast paced, close to something to 70s hard rock, a little heavier than 70s hard rock, but not by much. Listen to a song like The Zoo, right? It's just slow, really heavy song. It's got more in common probably with ACDC than, than, you know, Poison. What did you think of the Scorpions, Michael? The Scorpions actually made like my tolerable list believe it or not like i uh, be, beyond yeah be, like before i <laughs> so, got so, so, so our equivalent of the good category sure <laughs> but like the uh i didn't know a single song by the scorpions besides rocky like hurricane before diving into uh, mm-hmm. uh love it first thing uh but the track that really stood out for me i loved um coming home 
That's a great oh, song. That's a <laughs> it was, great song. It was epic. Like the intro was a nice yeah. change of pace. It was energetic. It was thrilling. And I just noticed, like, I guess the theme of Scorpion that made made them um stick out to me was uh they they just seem more organized, I guess. Cause a lot of the a lot mm-hmm. of this stuff blends together and so distorted and overdriven, especially with these other bands, it's hard to like pick out what's technical and what's not. Sure. Well, and they've got like a decade in making records at that oh, point yeah. too. So yeah, you were just talking about like they're their better. They're already better than Motley Crue by that standard alone mm-hmm. at this time, Pretty and much you, by every standard, <laughs> except and, and except I, amount of hair. I'll, I'll give them that. They, Motley's so, got them there. So obviously, so actually, I want to make a point about that. But you know, obviously, when I and like there was like great Bad Boys Running Wild. That was a song I grabbed when I was listening to hair metal that. I really gravitated to, and not so much anymore, but I still really enjoy that one. But same thrill, I think it's great. Um, Big City Nights, I think it's still got that. That's a good tune. Yeah, it's got good riff to it. And, you know, yeah, I, I, th- I think they they definitely didn't have the looks. I don't think they were among the pretty boy sex symbols from that time period. 40-year-old balding German dudes squeezed into spandex mm-hmm. in front of teenage don't, girls. No, no. Definitely not. But you know what? I... I you know, I, 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 for me, I'd probably put them in my good category. I think they're one of the few that I that can solidly say that. Maybe like, after listening to this, they weren't as good as I remembered them being back then. But I'd probably move them a little more um, towards. <laughs> I'd probably move a little, maybe a little towards the okay side, but I still think they're in the good. Sorry, I was laughing because I on my Spotify I saw that the last song Michael was listening to was "Smash Alley" by Faster Pussy Cat. <laughs> 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 Well, yeah. No wonder you hate this music. <laughs> I I don't know if you caught on to what happened, but like, yeah, I Andrew gave me the list. No, he made the playlist for this, me. Yeah, but and he, the playlist is how many songs? It's like three hundred. Three hundred songs. Well, no, no. I I, I told him go only go by the bands that are in the that that playlist. I can there were ten in there. But the first thing you gave me was a a makeshift post. Yeah, and I told you. I explicitly told you. I this was like of. a work in progress. Like, <laughs> I don't the, remember that. I told you. Anyways, okay. What? Where? How would you rank them, Dave? Um, the Scorpions. Yeah, like good, bad, or okay. Yeah, I mean, again, not for me a hair metal band, but but they certainly were popular of the era. Mm-hmm. Um, better than most. Better than most. Okay. They they were they were experienced songwriters by the time they hit MTV, and were starting to really get the acclaim of some of the other kind of hard rock bands of the time. So so um, not my favorite band, not a favorite of mine. But there's a couple records I think are super super strong, and those two guitar players, oh yeah, uh, Matthias Jabs and uh, uh, Rudolf Schranker, mm-hmm. uh, Schenker, excuse me, um, just great solid twin guitar attack. Uh, and and the singer Klaus Mein, um, they they got some German names. Dude, <laughs> dude can still sing. I think this is their like farewell tour that they're supposed to do this summer, and then they're going to retire really? at this mm-hmm. point because they've got to be pushing. I mean, I just saw actually this weekend, uh, Saturday was Eddie Van Halen's birthday. He is sixty four years old. I don't know how old the Scorpions are, but I know that they're a lot older than Eddie Van Halen. Yes. So, like, the, these are like your grandparents' age. Singing, out there. Rocky singing like a hurricane. Rocky like a hurricane. So, oh, that's crazy to think about. So, I think general consensus that they're somewhere in the good category, or just because they do stick out above the others, just like aesthetically, musically, mm-hmm. it, it, they do just they're differentiated and they can they can hold up. 
and and also pretty tasteful players too because I, this this music gets a rap for all overindulgence you know just too much guitar too many solos too too many runs too uh, choruses that are too layered that kind of thing they were more tasteful in terms of the the presentation mm -hmm. as much as you can get and still record a song like bad boys running wild <laughs> so all right next up on my list we have um probably the band i was least familiar with going in, going into this because even when I was listening to hair metal, I they they just they just kind of were one I ignored past past like the two hits, I guess. Mm -hmm. White Snake. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So obviously the only really consistent member being former Deep Purple frontman uh, David Coverdale, um, or as Robert Plant likes to call him, David Cover Version. Mm. <laughs> he kind of wow. stole his haircut, his moves, and never <laughs> never never quite got close enough on the voice though, which although, is which is the shame. Yeah, although you know, I, I will say that I love the burn. I think the burn album off Deep Purple's great. And oh I think yeah, burn yeah. is like one of the best riffs from from from, from Deep Purple. So you know, I I, th I think they definitely had talent at least from one guy going in there but um i mean overall i was expecting going there to hate white snake just like half these other ones but you know when i was listening through their self their, you know their big self-titled one even with all the synths going in there and and for for me hair metal it, the more poppy and synthy it gets the more i tend to like it less so uh, but even then like the guitars were heavy enough to a point where it's like I was actually kind of enjoying it, you know, maybe not here we go again, but you know, um, overall I thought it was, a, they were actually pretty enjoyable to listen to. It, it I didn't listen to their self-titled. I listened to slip of the tongue, 1989. And that one, it, it kind of blew me away of how much I actually enjoyed it. Um, it, it cause I, I, I researched it a little bit and I found out that kind of this is because Steve Vai. Yeah. Guest on that album for a lot of the tracks, mm -hmm. I think because, um, the, the other guitarist escapes me. I think Adrian was, Vandenberg. He had an injury or something at yeah. the time, right? So as much as I feared White Snake going in, I was feeling really optimistic after hearing that opening track. And just the, you know, Steve Vai is a, technically just a just one of the greatest. He, he never piqued my interest because I never was like a, a shredding kind of person because I grew up as a guitar player. So like. Steve Vai never really interests me. It was more, um, you know, others. But <laughs> Fool for Your Lovin' kind of lost my interest pretty quickly. I didn't really like that one. But w while Kittens Claw. And that was, that was the single. Yeah. So, I mean, as a produced, again, pop single, you know, made to be played on the radio. And not just like classic rock stations, because they weren't called that then. They were just rock stations. Mm -hmm. um, but also to be played on Top 40. You know, that I, I think charted for a good long while. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I mean, it, it was uh, um, it was certainly a departure from the stuff that Whitesnake had done previously. Mm -hmm. They were more bluesy rock kind of like in the early days. Yeah, they were like Rainbow or Deep Purple. I mean, they were very classic kind of 70s um, English rock band. UFO, you know, um, they're not English, but Thin Lizzy. John Sykes, of course, in who was a member of Thin Lizzy, uh, played on the 87 record. Mm. And the previous one, because, again, this is just the most crass, awful music sometimes, Slide It In. I have no idea what that song's about. Um, <laughs> that, that was the, uh, that's Rest. the other one that he played on. And, um, I mean, as far as, like, tasteful guitar players, John Sykes, 
just a riff machine. I mean, he's got some mm-hmm. amazing, amazing music that David Coverdale puts some lousy lyrics over top. <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, can't can't disagree on the lyrics. Um, you know, when I was really pretty much the the, I never really was into here. I go like, well, I kind of was, but I never really like gravitated toward me. The only song I really liked going in here was uh, "Still the Night." Like I, I, I don't care what you say. That song at least has a f- flipping awesome opening. Does that first note? It just, it's. It's just so like menacing almost like which is uh, uh, adjective you can rarely use with this genre but like it definitely has that kind of sinister feel and you know maybe the rest of the song doesn't hold up I don't like the part where it kind of dips down I feel like that could have been removed but like overall I, I really like that song in here but I was surprised to hear that the rest of the guitars in this album were just almost just as heavy as that one so I think that's what made it more tolerable for me that they're at least heavier than other bands of their at their time you know, the only, the only band I can think of as heavier than them is maybe, maybe Motley Crue, although they're a bit of an outlier, and I'll talk about that when we get to them. But. I think we both had different, very different introductions from the different albums that we listened to, because I, when I think Whitesnake now, because I hear Vi on it, I think of very colorful and energetic leads, which I, maybe that doesn't come across in all of Whitesnake's discography. Yeah, I mean, you know, Steve Vai is such a signature player, too. Um he he added a whole new layer of sound to that band that just didn't mm-hmm. exist. It, again, it was much more akin to like Thin Lizzy would be, which is a I mean, mm-hmm. is a great band. Um, and he, and that guy band. wrote some amazing music uh, for White Snake. Um, the interesting thing about the '87 record and that song "Still of the Night" is night. is the most 1987 sounding song <laughs> that there possibly could be. But the 87 record is actually, there's a lot of tunes yeah, that cr- they called from previous records, like yeah. Crying, in the, Crying in the Rain, is that the name of it? Uh, yeah, that's the intro. Um, and Here I Go Again. Yeah. So that was, God, that song was probably, what, eight years old. And then they re-recorded it because Geffen wanted to break the band in America finally. So they sweetened everything. They put that that hair metal polish on everything. Yeah. Um. Was, big echoey vocals and and uh, the the big sing along choruses and stuff and um but they really took this kind of classic blues rock sound mm-hmm. and then they just put the eighty seven on it polished yeah. it up. You, you cry in the rain when I, when I was starting. It's like hey, the synths weren't as bad as other bands on this list, but you know they it definitely had a really powerful riff to it. And I was I again I was just pleasantly surprised. I I just didn't expect that from. You know, flipping White Snake. I always kind of yeah. thought of them because of Here I Go Again as one of the more popular bands from that mm-hmm. time period. That had like one song maybe that had that was kind of a bit meaner sounding. I said that in air quotes, but you know, I'm I'm definitely more interested in looking at the rest of their discography 
passes. Yeah, as, as you go back, it, it, it actually does. It's kind of like the scorpions that way. It does okay. kind of get interesting to see if you, if you use 87 as your starting point and work your way backwards. It's like, how did they end up there? How did yeah. this guy he used to sing for deep purple end up doing that? Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, he had a, a great career doing it. That's where he made his money. He made more money in like three years with those, those last two white snake records that he had done all the previous career that he had. And then famously after Steve Vai says, I'm good. Thanks guys. I'm good. Um, you know, David Coverdale is a guy who he can, he can turn a good performance and he can, he can actually write some pretty good songs, but then he writes something like the song, which is just talk about musical felonies. It's on the 87 record called bad boys. Right. I saw that one. So, yeah. so this is what a 40 some year old guy singing this song, putting those lyrics down going, I think we got something here, guys. <laughs> I think this is it. So, um, he goes on, uh, after the, the last two white snake records and of course works with, um, Jimmy page, yeah. kind of a weird record, but not too bad. I mean, it's very Jimmy page There's some great guitar moments mm-hmm. on there and to hear him with a different voice than Robert plant is interesting. And this kind of weird mm-hmm. facsimile of Robert Plantness that they went out and toured and they sang like um, a bunch of old Zeppelin songs and stuff. It was it was pretty much the closest thing you probably were ever going to get to like having a Robert Plant back. Mm. But after they did that, they actually did the unleaded the um, yeah. uh, the unplug thing on MTV because right. I think Plant was just like, all right, stop it. Just stop that. I will come back. Maybe we'll do a record or something. Just stop that. Um, overall, so uh, I, I would rank them as being okay. Maybe maybe I listen to their earlier stuff that might actually move up to the good category, which is, again, much better, a much better statement than I thought I'd be saying for this. But um, where, where, how would you rank them? In yeah, I put them in my good category as well. Really? Uh, mm-hmm. And then what about you? I uh, I had the chance to see him actually a couple of times. Really? And uh, yeah, just sort of your, you know, teenage concert going ways um, at the at um, the castle in Charlevoix, which was a really unique venue that's not uh, going anymore. Um, so you get to see Mr. British uh, Coverdale with a, a castle literally is the is the backdrop for his show. Um, do I like him, though? Not really. Oh, no. Um, they've got a couple of moments here and there, but um, I. He can pull off a pretty good vocal sometimes, but just his lyrics, the crassness of Whitesnake is just. Uh, untolerable for the most part. Speaking of untolerable, can I pick the next one? Um, How about a little poison? Oh, if you want to go to poison yeah. right then, fine. Well, let's untolerable. You're I heading mean, in the right I, direction. I, I, Michael, why Michael. do you think they're garbage? Well, <laughs> I only listen to Open Up and Say Ah. Uh, I don't think I've ever listened to a more static album yeah. in my life. Oh, it sounds like the guitar tone was kind of glued in the same spot consistently, like keeping the track really boring with that just distorted sound that I'm just getting so tired of with all of these bands. But Poison just at the forefront. I did appreciate Every Rose Has Its Thorns. You're wrong. Um, <laughs> for, like, just standing out above the other tracks. <laughs> but that didn't change my can, perception can, of the can album I, can, can I say something about that song? Sure. I don't think... That it sucks? Well, yes, but can I explain? I, I don't know if I've ever heard a song 
and correct me if I'm wrong, that starts off with the sigh. Like, even the song itself <laughs> knows that it's absolute trash. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, Brett Michaels is like, oh, crap, well, let's <sighs> do this. Yeah, this is going to suck. Yeah. Oh, but Jesus Christ. So, I, I can't pretend to be above this. I used to like Poison. Like, in God, my, my horrible, horrible early starting music, I thought Unskinny Bop was like, one of the greatest things ever, and it's horrible <laughs> to say now. It's so embarrassing, but I am not going to pretend I didn't like that song. I, my favorite Poison song was actually uh, Fallen Angel, and you know what? That was the only song listening to that was like, it's not good, but you know, it, it, is, it is the most tolerable thing on that entire album, especially when like two songs later you have a Your Mama Don't Dance, which is probably one of the worst songs <laughs> From this entire genre. Someone had to sit down with him and say, you should cover a, a Kenny Loggins song. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they went, we should. <laughs> like, how does that happen in that studio? Dur- during the hair metal time uh, of, of all times, like, we're going to bring Kenny Loggins in. I guess anything's possible. Man. Loggins and Messina, I guess it was. But still, I mean, it just, wow. It's so bad. Back to the rocking horse and love on the so so much awful music on this record. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I don't recall seeing a lot of dudes walking around with poison T-shirts. Okay, so I mean, I think there's a relatively narrow part of the audience that they were going oh, for. I, the, you know, I'm funny enough when I was in tenth grade, there was a Spanish teacher of mine, and she had like a photo, like with her and Brett Michaels, like. He had to have been one of the pretty boys, like the big like male frontman sex symbols at that time. I can only imagine. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, you weren't putting like the guys in the, the from the Scorpions no. and like the you know pull out centerfold and like Definitely Circus not. Magazine or Hit Parade or something. You know, you didn't Definitely put Motorhead not. in there. So, so yeah, I mean, he would have been the guy. You know, he kind of worked more on his abs than he did his lyrics, and and you know, he's he's has a fascinating collection of bandanas that he was wearing to mask his receding hairline. So <laughs> sure. I mean, you know, he's got that going for him. I, Unfortunately, I, I, not I too much like of he, a voice. Right. I, I always see him on like the weirdest, like, like I like advertisement gigs too. Like I know he's, he, first of all, I know he did like a country solo record a few years ago. That sounded absolute. Cause those garbage. are always great ideas. Huh? You know, they're always great ideas. <laughs> yeah. When the hard rock guys go, I'm going to do a country record and see what happens. Oh, talking about always the works one well. exception for country. Yeah, yeah and, well, week. it's definitely not Brett fucking Michaels. That's Are you sure. sure about that? Uh, I'm positive. <laughs> it's definitely not Brett fucking Michaels. Sure. Um, but, no, like, I, I remember, like, I was walking through a PetSmart, and there was, like, I remember it's like, a dog toy, and then, like, his... And then it was like his like on like little like cardboard tag was like Brett Michael's face. It's like, is this what he's doing now? Is he advertising dog products? Because I couldn't think of a better situation for him, a more fitting situation well, for him to be in. You know what? I, I always found poison CDs to be very effective coasters. So, yeah. Well, um, you know, sometimes. I mean, but do you really want that to like want people like, but that's also like admitting people, oh, I own a poison CD. You really wouldn't want that, would you? No. Well, I'm using it as a coaster, so but, I don't, but that's not really, that. it's not I in mean, the collection or anything, you know? Well, yeah, I think but most, like, most people thought that was pretty funny. I mean, yeah, but I mean, it can can't be as embarrassing as in like a Kid Rock CD. Like you wouldn't even want to use that for a coaster. I don't no, think. no, I, I probably wouldn't let that in my house actually. So <laughs> now that I'm thinking back to all those friends' dads when they tell me what they're into, they kind of go like, "Yeah, I was in a rat. I was in a Miley crew. I was in a poison. I was in a Guns and Roses." <laughs> like, yeah, I, I mean, you know, 
So, and and I, you can even go back and ask them further about that because yeah. the chances are they weren't. The chances are their girlfriends were into poison. Mm. That, and and that's the, a big thing about it with with how much this music attracted girls. Yes, yeah, yes. big deal. And that that awful record you're talking about has a song in there called "Is It Fallen Angel?" Yeah, or something that's like that's that. the only one I could find right. tolerable. So there's a few of these songs. I mean, you know. It's it's, it's gonna it's gonna get played at the high school dance. So and cheesy the narrative to that song. Sure, it's yeah. I mean that's that's the lighter song, right? You're at the concert and you flick your lighter. Well, well, and you, well, unlike Emma Rotas at Storm, at least Fallen Angel has like a riff to it. At least it has some like energy. You know that's why I can I can I mean glad to say the other song in here didn't, but like of all the ones I listen to, it's like well that's not super sleazy. It's also not like. Again, I, I kind I still kind of had the, like the riff going in my head after when I, after I listened to this, and unfortunately the chorus too. But you know, I, I was I, I kind of remembered why I liked this when I was younger with, with that song in particular. I'm not saying I like it now. I think it's a bad song along with everything else they've ever made. <laughs> but you know, I think that that's the one that still kind of sticks with me. I guess I don't know. So we all agree that poison's fucking awful, right? Yeah, yeah. Bottom of the barrel for me. Beside, Absolute garbage. Right uh, above um, Faster Pussycat. Yeah, but but I, I there's still know. a band coming on that I still think he's worse even than Poison. Really? Oh, yes. I think I know what he's talking about. He's wrong, but that's okay. We'll get there. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's go into one that Dave. I'm defending that band. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> let's go into one that Dave really wants to talk about. Rat with two T's. Don't you love that name? I do. It's a great name. It's, it's a great name. <laughs> so these guys uh, were contemporaries of Motley Crue mm-hmm. and Motley Crue and Rat. And there was a band called Rough Cut. They were kind of uh, the standard bearers there on the Sunset Strip playing all those clubs, Gazaris and the whiskey, uh, not the whiskey. Um, yeah, the whiskey. Um, boy, there's another famous club, the Troubadour. I think sometimes they, those bands would play there. So they were kind of the standard bearers there. They were they were the people that inherited that scene after it was initially kind of um, established by Van Halen and Quiet Riot and some other bands of of, uh, of that time. Angel is another kind of famous one from that time. I guess the thing that kind of sticks out about this band, um, Brian Slagle is a guy who uh, started a, a record label called um, Metal Blade. Um, the Metal Blade compilation... Yeah. Um, um, music massacre or something like that um, actually featured rat in a song called uh, hit the lights by Metallica. Mm. So they were kind of a heavier band then it wasn't so much this kind of glam or like fashion metal. It was a uh, um, just kind of seventies hard rock, you know, leather pants and uh, flying V guitars and, and a little bit more aggressive. Um, for me, out of all these bands that we're going to talk about, this is one that I kind of gravitated to. Um, they had a really popular single called Round and Round. Not and the best I, to me. And but. I still think it is it is one of the definitive songs of that era. It's got all the best elements of those successful songs. So it's got kind of uh, just great musicality to it. Mm-hmm. Like the song moves. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great sing-along chorus. Like there's really good pop sensibilities in there and there's a really uh, fantastic um, dual guitar solo Mm -hmm. uh, kind of towards the end of the solo. 
Um, it's one of those songs for me, at least that I can listen to some uh, 30 years later or something. And, um, and I still like it. Mm-hmm. It's still catchy. It does kind of take me back to that particular place, mm-hmm. but it's also just got the best qualities of that music. It gets you excited when you listen to it. Yeah, you know, I'd like to highlight that musicality point that you made when you're listening around and around. It's like, what comes around comes around. You can feel it. Yeah. Like, that's very interesting how they were able to capture that, which that single is, it is, it's, it's, it's a highlight of the era, I think. Yeah, I, I can't say that. I know my dad played that a bit a lot when I was younger. So I, that song, I mean, so I get round and round. I, I, I'm a little more into it nowadays than I was previously because that, that song was kind of overplayed for me even when I was first getting into music. So sure. that one never gravitated to me. The, I think their best single, it's not off of, um, well, Out of the Cellar is probably their best album. Which is well, it's definitely their best selling. I mean, that's the one that they're known for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I genuinely think that that's probably their best album. Lack of Communication is my favorite song from there. Wanted Man's good. Uh, Back for More. Morning. Back for More is great. That's another, The Morning After. That's a good one, too. The, uh, um, Back for More is another one of those kind of quasi-power uh, ballads. So we're not quite getting there yeah. to the power ballad yet. The band, you know, we're going to talk about in a, in a couple of minutes is the one that really perfected that. But... Um, but yeah, that's definitely their. I would say their most regarded album. Yeah. And then the follow up is is equally good. That's the one that you like, I think. Right? Um, I, I don't like the album as a whole better than I do Out of the Cellar, but I will say the better single is Lay It Down. I like that one more than Round Around. I think it has the, to me the better riff. The, I'll give you the hook isn't as as strong in the verse between the verses of the two song, but I think I think it's definitely stronger in the chorus of Lay It Down than Round and Round. I mean, I mean that I mean, that's just me, but. I fucking love that song. I think it's probably one of the best songs from that genre. I really, I mean, it's probably more or less the riff, but it just, it, you like that chorus better. Yes. Yes, I do. And I don't, okay. yes, it's one phrase over and over again, but sometimes it's all you need. So sometimes <laughs> okay. it's all you need. And I don't, I just, it, it's, it's, I think the, to me, the hook is better. I think that's really, you know, you really want to lay it down. Right now, and how no, not you know that. you really want to lay it down, lay it down, lay it down, lay it down. Well, I you're mean, making like it sound lamer than it is. Come on, on. <laughs> but but so I, yeah, the chorus I don't think is better. Um, but that riff. So Warren Demartini is a guitar player in that band, and he's kind of one of the. Um, I mean, uh, you know, during that period, he was pretty highly regarded, but I mean, you just don't really hear anything about the guy. He's not talked about in the same regard as like an Edward Van Halen or someone like that. So he's kind of been forgotten a little bit, but just a tasteful, interesting player. And he was, I think he was 17 when he joined that band right before they got signed. So he's like a good eight, maybe even 10 years younger than the other guys in that band. So as they were touring these clubs and stuff, they had to sneak him into the club to play his show. And he looked like a 17-year-old. Yeah. And I then think about that because, like, Dave Grohl, he toured Europe when he was, yeah. what, like, right when he graduated high school, I oh, think. Even mid- no, before, and he dropped out of high school to yeah. tour Europe. I want to know what that's like really bad. Mm. But Too late. My, my, Too shitty late high, my shitty high school cover Rad, band didn't make it, I think Rad is touring this summer. <laughs> you can try to put in a word for you. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, the, the choruses are not hard to, you know, remember. So I'd want to sing, that. I'd sing She Wants Money and then get yeah, off the yeah. stage. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I was playing for that my roommate, and he was just mocking that song. It's like, so she wants money, right? Is that, is that what that song's about? I didn't did catch so what, what he said. Is that what he said? She wants from this money? Is, she wants money. money. Very repetitive. Stephen Piercy, distinctive voice, not a great voice. Kind of like a Brian Johnson from ACDC or like a Bon Scott. So I, I, I could uh, capture that or pick up on that. Though. Yeah, I mean, not, not doesn't have a range. He's got, you know, kind of one octave. You know, I think he has a fairly distinctive voice for me. I don't really. Yeah, it's compare. unique. Not a great voice. No, though. but I, I, don't, I don't hear Bon Scott or Brian Johnson when I hear his voice. Later, there is a band later that, that reminds me of a very try-hard Brian Johnson, and you'll disagree with me completely on that, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, but overall, um, my ranking on Rat probably... I put them in the okay category. As much as I think their first two albums are have some solid songs, they aren't amazing. There's a couple songs I'm pretty sure are out of the cellar that I wasn't crazy about. Um, There's an EP that they did before Out of the Cellar came yeah. out that was distributed just in Los Angeles. It kind of helped them get that deal. Mm-hmm. You can find it on YouTube. I don't think you can actually order it anywhere anymore. It's out of, out of print. But um, to give you kind of a sense of where they came from, which was kind of that heavier metal yeah. side of things. Um, you can always look that up, and um, it has uh, the first uh, take on the song uh, Back for More, which I think is actually a, a superior version to the one that ended up on Out of the Cellar. So, and how would you guys rank them in your... I'm with you. I'm in the okay category. They're right on the border, though, to being good. Yeah, I mean, I, I've always dug them. i dug them since I was probably... 13 years old. So, uh, and I still do. I, that's one of the bands, many of these bands that we're going to talk about here. I never go back and listen to that music, you know, but, um, but that's one that stands true for you throughout the years. Yeah. I mean, I I can go back and appreciate these guys or on, you know, XM radio or something as you're going through the dials of a rat song comes on. I'm going to listen to it. Yeah. That's how I feel with a lot of this stuff. Like, and and granted, it's the more popular stuff, the Guns N' Roses and the Bon Jovi, but, like, I, I can keep it on if there's nothing else on. Sure. Just because I need some music playing doesn't, you know, I'm not going to completely reject this music. Yeah. So, it's somewhere between okay and good, I think, is the general consensus on this one. Now, I don't know if I want to do this one, because I feel like I'm just going to get my heart broken. I'm talking about Twisted Sister now, yeah. and... <laughs> yeah. So... I'll, I'll start with this Goobie one. Rock. Sorry. <laughs> so I, I will, we'll, we'll make a note about that one. So, so Twisted Sister is a weird one to me because a lot, a lot of these bands I either like fell off completely for me or my love for them waned off when I was growing out of, my, I guess, my hair metal phase. I put that in quotes. But Twisted Sister was one was like probably like the only band that I grew to appreciate more so after I kind of got out of hair metal as a whole. Um, to be honest, they're probably my second favorite band we're going to be talking about here. Mm-hmm. Like, very, very close second, too. I, that's why I'm feeling like making my heart broken here. I, I, I love to, I love Twisted, like, to, to the bits. I, I think they're genuinely very talented, they're a very talented group of musicians. And I think I have some, actually some decent songwriting chops. They, they definitely had, they're probably, I guess, the, not lyrically, but you know, musically, the nastiest sounding band from of all the ones we're talking about, and I think that really kind of, for in my ears, kind of set them apart from everything else we're talking about. I, I, Dee Snider, I mean, yeah, he he's an arrogant prick. There's there's really no 
two ways about that. He, he I don't like watching his interviews because he's just too full of himself. But it, I can't deny that he's a really good vocalist, and I think that he actually was a very good front man for that band. So I have a question real quick. Did every band of this era kind of have that one arrogant prick? that like stood out from the rest of them. Was that like a staple? That, was that part of I the think aesthetic? that's where the term lead singer disease came from. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> well, no, but no, if you ever watch his like inter watch his interviews, he'll, he'll always say that, Oh, I could be singing opera right now if I wanted to. Cause he's, he, yeah, he's a classically trained singer, but yeah, it does come I, up. I off. would love to know who classically trained D Snyder to do anything <laughs> except maybe put makeup on. So, so I mean, that's, he's, he says that a lot, but I, I'm not so sure that's yeah. true. But you know, I, I, and for me, um, and you know, he says other stupid shit like, um, he's, he thinks Twisted Sister invented speed metal, which is as much as I love him, that's complete utter BS. That's insane, yeah. uh, you know, except deserves except, or as we, we talk about this, Motorhead probably deserves those titles more so than fucking Twisted Sister. But overall, I especially Stay Hungry, I think it's a can, fantastic. Can you just like imagine the guys in Slayer and Metallica going? Listen to this Twisted Sister album. I think oh, yeah. they're on to something, guys. Oh, yeah. oh my goodness. Don't discount this. This is this is cutting edge stuff. Oh, no, I, the, the first two records are actually really raw sounding because they, they, they didn't have a lot of great production when they first started, which, I, again, I think actually kind of went to their benefit. And while Stay Hungry was more polished, certainly, than those first two, it, it's definitely had a bit of like dirty, grimy elements, so I think it helps some of those songs. You're gonna burn in hell. I, I won't go on for too much longer. Now tell me why. Now you two tell me why I'm wrong. Should you go first? Or would you like me to? <laughs> Here's the thing. I, I, I'm going to... They're shit, Dave. <laughs> but... <laughs> Here's, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spew some, uh, some things I like before you know, I'm going to hand it over to Dave. I, I can appreciate... I would want to rock for being a good arena oh, rock that's like song. The one, that's like the like, one song I don't like of theirs. Well, yeah, but, but like, like Black and Black and Seven Nation Army. Um, and of course, I mean, I'm a gooby goober from SpongeBob. Yeah, that's, okay, so that here's was the great. thing. That the fucking SpongeBob version is uh -huh. better than that it song. It is. It is. Because, I mean, it's, you know, you know what the problem with the song? It has rock and roll all night syndrome, where it's just aged so badly because it's like, oh, I want to rock. It's, it's, I mean, to me, like, that is a cliche. That's probably the biggest cliche in rock music. Yeah. And, and there's really no need for it anymore for but, anthems but like again, that. But again, so your perspective on this is like 30 years or so after it's after it was released. Oh, I know. Completely. So, so at that time, you've got President Ronald Reagan. The PMRC. I mean, yeah, famously, Dee Snyder uh, became part yeah. of the zeitgeist because of... He testified against Congress. Tipper Gore, right? Al Gore's wife wanted to put stickers on everybody's albums. So, you know, I Wanna Rock wasn't not 
it, it, it was wasn't, it wasn't just time. it wasn't just a silly lyric. It was a kind of a mission statement for them. I mean, they were appealing to like 13 year old kids who wanted to kind of rebel, who were mad at their parents or something. Sure, and, I, and, you know, and it's a fun song, right? I mean, I it mean, is. so that's why and I said we're, it we're not going to take it. This is like they wrote no, that I, song I, 50 times. Mm-hmm. So well, first you of can't all, stop I, rock and roll, you know, the first time. I but I, I think for me, I want to rock. That's why I said it's aged. Not so well. At the time, it certainly had its place. And say what you will about this band, you cannot deny the, what D. Snyder did was good when he when he Frank Sapp and John Denver, three completely different artists, they all banded together and like against the PMRC. He said what you're doing is unconstitutional and full of bullshit. So you got to release respect him for that. And yeah, again, it had its place at the time. But I just it's, for me, that song just hasn't aged as well it was mm-hmm. as it has. But anyways. Michael, why, the, why do they suck? Just well, tell me. Here's the thing. If the writers of SpongeBob re, rewrote every <sighs> Twisted oh, Sister goodness. song and then re-released it, I think that would be three times better than anything okay. Twisted Sister's ever made. I am I'm like this I'm like this close from like firing you almost for saying oh, yeah? <laughs> like you want so me to bring up SpongeBob one more time? No, no, it's not even SpongeBob that you that you would even dare oh, suggest that they could rewrite it three times better. Oh, yeah. One song, fine. We, hey, you want to know something interesting? Is Burn in Hell was a great track. Burn I actually Hell really is that a lot. A flipping awesome. There's certainly song. like interesting hooks. I really like the, that the guitar was a slightly bit more calculated than the rest of it. Um it still had a god it's just so simple song structure with all of this stuff it's, well it, I, th- I think that's part of what no i think that was integrity. part of what made them i that's probably the reason why i like them because they're yeah they're simpler but at the same time i think that's what helped them benefit because like i said they're raw sounder they, they they're a bit more primitive than all these other really slickly produced pop songs well and there's something to that because um there's a great documentary about Twisted Sister on Amazon, um, and it kind of takes them from kind of the first version when they uh, when they started. We were basically a New York Dolls ripoff. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's where the that's where the, the <laughs> at least with the, the costumes sure. came from. It's kind of where the songs were. They're very kind of sloppy, bluesy type songs. So they eventually move into even this sort of. Um, less interesting kind of plotting style of music to, to getting a little bit more polished like that. So that was actually a couple of steps up for them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm not, a, not a huge fan of the twisted sister. I mean, you know, they got a couple of great videos. That's another band who MTV was just, it came along at just the right time for those guys, those videos. And he actually put some, you know, time into coming up with an interesting storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, I never listened to Twisted Sister. I can't imagine that I ever will listen to Twisted Sister at this I'm point sorry. in time. You know but, what? But, 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 um, and I, and I, honestly, I can't remember a friend who is like, this is my band right here. These are <laughs> yeah. my boys. Um, they're, but, they're mine but, though. They're mine. But, um, we're not going to take it right. All these years later, again, these guys are not writing songs for decades later. They're writing songs for right now. Mm-hmm. And this, we're not going to take it. That's to those 13-year-old kids, those rebellious kids, mm-hmm. the kids that wanted their MTV, but their parents wouldn't let them watch it, right? Oh, yeah. And I have it noted right here. I can see that's, just prob- that's probably why I liked that song when I was like early teens, because it, it, it does fit with that age group. 
You know, again, I'm, that childish, was a song but... I remember hearing a lot in the car when I was younger. So I think that's why I'm more okay with that. Because I still really, I, I still actually really like that song much more well, so than I Want to Rock. That's like Rock Rebellion, you know, 1.0 for you when you're 10 years old, oh, right? I, I mean, you, st- I you still obviously like rebellious music, right? Well, yeah, but here's the thing, and you know, I, when I, I don't know if you remember, when I wrote the column, my the column about how why I love punk rock so much. That's why I, that's why I think punk rock sure. is a much more. I want, I want to say more mature, but it's a much more fitting rebellious music because there's usually a political angle to it, and there's always something to actually rebel against. I I don't take the lyrics very seriously, so we're not going to take it. Trust me, I do not. But you know, when I still listen to that, it's like it's still got a great hook. I love the drum intro, and you know, and again, I think his vocals are very powerful, and I think it really. I think it made that song really enjoyable. And again, you know what? That whole record is Stay Hungry. I love the title track. is my favorite song off that record. It is a fantastic song. And you know what? I don't know if I mentioned this already. I hate most of these stupid power ballads that came from this genre. But The Price is one of like, the few that I actually can sit down and listen to and enjoy. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's much more of just a ballad ballad, too, mm-hmm. which is nice. Um, but 30 years later... To be known for anything, right, is pretty spectacular. And that song is going to just keep living. Now, SpongeBob is going to breathe some life maybe into some other material, but we're not going to take it. We'll be playing that song for 20 more years probably. I, we, You know, the, the playoffs uh, last weekend, I don't remember if it was the Saints game or whatever. I must have heard that chorus that we're not going to take it two or three times in the stadium there in New Orleans. And... Uh, People are going nuts for it, right? It gets you pumped up. So mm-hmm. for that, I, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll throw you a little bit of, little bit of praise. So, but, um, I, you know, d- defend love is for suckers. I mean. Can't, can't really do that. I, I, so, I suppose some of the defend, not. That, but, like, yeah, you know what? Did, that. Pass, pass. Yeah, that one too. That's awful. That which, was, which one? You're an SMF. That was oh, so bad. Ah, uh, no. This is I awful. Like that. No, you're wrong. You're just wrong. <laughs> you're just wrong. Okay, so and they have completed their everything. Their, past their, their come very out, last past tour. come out to play. So yeah, that's where now. I lose them. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You, by the way, you know, what, you know, what, you, you you talk about Metallica not appreciating them. You know, when they toured for Stay Hungry, I looked this up. Metallica actually opened for them. Right? Yeah, they opened yeah. for them. Mm-hmm. So yeah. maybe 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 we can maybe there is some now. Uh, D. Snyder. Does have a new record out? I think it's called "For the Love yeah, of and, Metal," right? Yeah, and it's an actual like metal album, and I haven't the, listened the, to it yet. The guy like, from uh, Hatebreed uh, wrote it for him, and then got him a record deal or something, or produced yeah. it. It right, actually doesn't something. sound like I've heard sound clips. It actually sounds kind of interesting. So definitely more on the metal side. This definitely. band, oh yeah, definitely. Than, say poison. So, but I, I, so I'm assuming you guys both put this in the bad category. Yep. Well, you guys are wrong. Great category. I love them. I think, again, I'll give you after Come Out and Play. Not really much there for me, but those first, those at least, at least those first four records, I, I think they're fantastic. So, so Quiet Riot is really the first, so they're the first metal band to have a number one record. Um, that metal, metal Health was the name of it. Yep. Yes. And again, they were contemporaries of Van Halen. So this is a 70s band who is finding success by just retooling a little bit image sound um they got a producer who really believed in them and a couple of songs that they had written Mm -hmm. that were that were presented and um you know they went on to do spectacularly well for them one record though really uh there's there's a couple of follow-ups after that that really go down in quality pretty pretty quickly but um but that one record um like twisted sister like a couple others 
I mean, it sounds very much rooted in that time. It's very 1983 sounding. It's a little thin sounding on the guitars. There's not much bass in there, even though Rudy Sarzo is a great bass player. Um, and famously, uh, um, Come On, Feel the Noise, a Slade song. Mm-hmm. Um, the producer says, listen, I'm, I'm funding this thing. I don't really hear a single, you guys. Why can't you be like Van Halen? Why can't we have a song on the radio? What do you got? And they just were not really having it. So he's the one that brought the Slade song to them and said, um, let's try this out. Uh, Kevin Dubrow, the singer who has mm-hmm. since passed away, Cocaine he was to- totally against it, totally against it. And uh, he actually asked the drummer, he's like, listen, when you go in there, you lay down the drum track, right? Just play it really badly. Like, we don't want to do this song, so just go in there and just suck. And he did a great take on the mm-hmm. song, including that drum intro, the famous kind of drum intro. Um, so that became the big hit. They went on to sell, I think, I don't know, I think that's something like five or six million records there. And granted, um, that was not the only hit from that. They had, they had the, essentially the title track. Metal Health, yeah. And then there's a song called Slick Black Cadillac, which was actually written by Randy Rhodes before he, yeah. uh, before he left to join Ozzy's band. on my walk over here. You, um, you knew Randy Rhodes as part of this band before Ozzy's stuff, right? Nope. Oh, well, there and, you go. And again, so you guys give him credit for that, for that right? Yeah. And, and their major influences were the glam bands of the 70s. So it was mm-hmm. Slade, and it yeah. was uh, T-Rex and Mott the Hoople. Uh, a little bit of Bowie in there. Um, that's kind of what they did when they were in L.A. Um, during the 70s. So this is this is a departure from that in a huge way. Um, but commercially, um, the only peak that they had really, uh, again. First album. Yeah, it was that first album. Come On, Feel the Noise becomes an MTV staple. I mean, that was one of those songs that they were playing, I think, every 30 minutes because people wanted to see it over and over and over again. And that kind of that kind of like, as opposed to like scarier bands, right? Because Ozzy's still kind of scary at that point. <laughs> um, this was kind of a nice introduction to like Middle America, Midwestern teenagers and heavy metal. Hmm. It wasn't very threatening. There's not a lot of like you know the devil imagery that's in a lot <laughs> of metal and stuff. There's no, there's not a lot of scariness to it. It's just like everybody's like going to a show would, and having would, a lot of fun. Would you put them in part of the '80s glam scene? Um, Quite Riot, yeah. I mean, they didn't certainly start out like that, but um, they definitely ended up like that. So they got the big hair, and and uh, again, they're chasing success. So they're emulating people, and that's kind of how this scene dies. Is the next group just emulates the group in front of them that mm-hmm. found recent success. So you don't go back to say you know, Led Zeppelin and their singles and try to learn, okay, what do they do well there? And let me, let me incorporate that into what I do. Mm-hmm. So it's really just kind of, you know, a snake eating its own tail at yeah. that point. And, you know, as we know, Nirvana would come along a couple of years later and go, oh, we can do this. <laughs> That's kind of better than Firehouse, isn't it? Or Jackal. <laughs> oh my God. I, I, I'm I liked, I liked, I liked that album when I was younger. Which one? Firehouse. Okay, change. Keep going. <laughs> quiet right. Keep going. <laughs> Please. So, you no, know, quiet, quiet. You know what? When I was listening to, to, to Metal Health, I was like, this isn't as good as I remembered it being. Like, the singles from there are fine. Slip Black Hat lacks okay. I like Run to Cover. That's a one, sorry, one for cover. I like that song. They're really, there isn't 
a lot of it's either filler or really mediocre or not or not even that good. There wasn't much that really screamed amazing at me. And then, like you said, there isn't much really to look at past this. They they did an okay cover of another Slade song, "Mama." We're all crazy now. Yeah. Far less successful. Far, far, yeah, far less successful, and it was good, but not as good as "Come On, Feel the Noise." Those those two singles are great, though. I do think those singles are. Which again, great. you'll hear at sporting events from now and probably for the next thirty years too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, they got that going for them at least. Yeah. Um. What about you, Michael? What did you think of "Fly It Right"? It, they're in the bed for me, man. Okay. I, I couldn't. I couldn't get through. It. I guess the highlight for the album with me was actually. Would Would you consider "Don't Want to Let You Go" the ballad? Yeah, probably. I actually dug it sure. a little bit because, really? it, oh, yeah, yeah, because I, for me, I think we were talking earlier where, where bass is really an underrated component of a yeah. lot of these bands, and I heard a lot of, like, bass fills that had kind of this funky flavor going on, mm. which actually was pretty pleasant to hear in Rudy those sports. Sarzo, great sports. bass player. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, he he followed Randy into Ozzy's band, mm. so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and then bailed after Randy Rhodes died in the, the yeah. plane crash, went back to Quiet Riot. So, yeah, for me, and you kind of touched on, like, what else is there besides mental health? Mental like, health, come on, feel the noise. I mean, again, I like Run For Cover. I think that song's good. Besides that album? Or yeah, besides, besides the album. Yeah, no, there's, there's nothing. There's really there's nothing. not much. Exactly. Maybe some really hardcore fans can find something in condition critical. I was actually listening to, like, the title track. It was bad to that album. You can, you can I think, bad. on YouTube find the... Um, because they did a couple albums with Randy Rhodes that yeah. were only released in Japan. So you can hear that song, Slick Black Cadillac, which Randy, I believe he wrote that song. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can hear his take on that, which is a, a wholly different experience. Having said that, that guitar player, Carlos Carvazzo, I think yeah. his name is. Um, great guitar player. Um, not Randy Rhodes, though. Not Randy Rhodes. So that, that's kind of what he's remembered for. Not Randy Rhodes. So overall, I'd probably rank him as okay. You said bad, Michael. Yep. What about you, Dave? Yeah, I'm not not ever a huge fan of theirs. I mean, they got a couple of moments, like a lot of probably the best the best bands here do. They've got that signature moment that's kind of they've kind of ridden that for decades, and and that's really about it. Okay, all right, we're on the home stretch. Uh, these are what I consider, and Dave doesn't slightly disagree, but slightly disagrees here, but like. Overall, I think of bands that are plumped into this genre, like uh, to me, these are like the big four. So you always got to have a big four for everything. Always got to have a big four. So for me, that would be Motley Crue, Def Leppard, GNR, and Bon Jovi. Let's start with Motley Crue. Dave, go ahead, because I know you want to take a sledgehammer to these guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, Motley Crue is kind of a gateway drug for a lot of. Uh, a lot of metal fans uh, uh, back in 1983 or so, they had all the sort of best elements of the satanic imagery, shout at the devil, which what, who the hell knows what that means. Um, they had a big pentagram on the cover. I know I've gotten, uh, I had a couple copies of that cassette thrown away when somebody would notice the devil imagery and you got to get that out of the house because the preacher on television told them to. Um I mean, just not a good band. I mean, not really talented in any way. The 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 um, singer Vince Neal's got one of the worst voices oh. in rock. Um, yeah. Nick, Nikki Six, I think, learned how to play the bass like five years ago. He's not a good bass player on those <laughs> records. Um, you know, something for, until about last year, I thought Montley Crew was a dude. 
the oh, like it the was front a man person? Yeah. was Motley yeah. Crue. Yeah. Like they go to see like, oh yeah, I'm going to go. Which one's Motley? I'm gonna, <laughs> that would have been me if I would have saw Is them. it the guy that looks like he's in his 40s on the cover of Shot the Devil? Yeah. So, um, you know, they got a kind of a, a good drummer, Tommy Lee. He's just kind of more flashy than anything, yeah. but he was kind of known as the musician in the band. So that tells you something about the musicality of the band. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Nick Mars, kind of one of the most boring guitar players ever, but he can kind of put together a riff every once in a while. You know, um, here, here, here's what I think. You know what I just realized about Motley Crue? That just they're not that good. Not necessarily. <laughs> but, you know, okay. he, here's what I think of when I hear Motley Crue. Motley Crue to me is like the kiss of the 80s. And by the way, if you've ever listened to Kiss in the 80s, when you have some spare time, do so, because it is some of the most unintentionally funny shit you will ever listen. Mm-hmm. All you good. need to know, it's fucking hilarious. It's so bad, it's good. All you need to know is, let's put the X in sex. Everyone's, you don't need anything else in your life but that should show. Go find the video for Tears Are Falling <laughs> and watch that. It is amazing. If you want to watch a bunch of, like again, 40-year-old oh, guys so- trying to pretend that they're 18 to try to like get high school girls to buy their records. It is embarrassing. <laughs> Anyways, but no, no. So about Motley, you know, Motley Crue, again, they're like the kids, of the eighties They're where they're, they had, they had some, uh, maybe a handful of good singles, but then you could just throw the rest of their stuff away. Like it, it like, like here, I, I, I could probably say the same thing about Motley Crue as I could say about kiss is that most of their career is filler. It really is. And that, that's other uh, another thing that's noteworthy about all these bands is they really did have careers on sing, uh, on singles mm. because the albums themselves were terrible. This was the complaint of everyone in the eighties. Was I wanted to bring that up? Is this this era is kind of the death of the album? It really it? is. I mean, yeah, it's, it's certainly the disrespect of the album. <laughs> I mean, you're not getting a Led Zeppelin two here or Led Zeppelin three. That's like. Co- you know, curated and put together even the first Van Halen record, you know, I mean, that was uh, all these songs in an order that made sense that all kind of go together. This is like one or two good songs and you're paying $9 for a record and you take it home and you go, wow, that's awful. Well, there's one song hmm. on here that I like. Well, look here for some, for some bands like Poison, they had no good songs, so that it's, they don't, don't count. But, and so for old people like me, when iTunes was coming out, you could buy like one song. I was like, hallelujah. We don't have to buy these crap records anymore. But even that, you know, I, was, you know, I know you're going to disagree, but I, to me at least, you know, twi- and I look at Twisted Sister and, you know, even the Scorpions, you know, and um, perhaps even GNR when you get to them later. When you look at their albums as a whole, like the, overall those records as a whole to me are good. But like I think Motley Crue particular to me is when I hear like, okay, like I can get into what, what's what's the big one from their first album, um, Livewire. Um Looks a Kill. I love that. I genuinely like that song. The the two big singles from like Dr. Feelgood, the self-titled, Kickstart My Heart, and then Wild Side. Give me those, and I'm good with Mother Crew. I don't really need anything else from them. Like I those five songs I actually really do like. Best 
thing that happened to these bands was the greatest hits record. For that sure. was the oh, one that sure. everybody right. could buy. That was the one that was guaranteed to go platinum, and that was pretty much the only one that you needed. That's interesting that you say that because now that I'm thinking about it, every single one of these bands have a, has a greatest hits Absolutely. album on Spotify. Mm-hmm. It's usually the Millennium one too. You know, it's got like kind of the eight to nine songs, and mm-hmm. and then sometimes the labels would put out the greatest hits records, but yeah. Yeah, there's some absolute garbage on those records. Garbage. Oh, really? well, it's like, what's like the, well, technically the third, but like the second, like, full-length song. I thought, Is that Slice of Your Pie? Yeah. <laughs> that. Hell yeah. Really? You. That was the jam. I don't know what that would have been written about. <laughs> let's let's talk about that, that I great tune. Yeah, I actually want to go back to the band. Like, how do you make greatest hits albums for bands like Twisted Sister and Poison where they have no good songs? Hmm. And uh, well, well, filler. here's the thing. <laughs> yeah, filler. Well, I yeah. would argue that Twisted Sister has a lot of good songs. Yeah. Definitely, I think it's a travesty that you're trying to compare them <laughs> to Poison. <laughs> Again, Michael, I will fire you if you continue to. You're not my Boss, Boy, I, really? I will hire you back. <laughs> Thank you, David. All right. Anyway, Motley Crue. I can respect this band for being just yeah. a, kind of like a hit generator, especially with Doctor Feelgood, and that's why I threw them on like my good category. And like what you were touching on before, Dave, where it's like a lot of these songs just like they bring back memories for you. Yeah. Doc, Motley Crue, the the friends that I hung out with and got me into like or the very basis of this stuff. Motley Crue was definitely there with Kickstart My Heart and Doctor Feelgood. Those are the songs that bring back memories. So I can feel that. Um, and that's why they take the good um, ones. But, like, I don't know how it goes from, like, that to slice your, slice of your pie. It's, <laughs> I think there's something on there called Rattlesnake Shake. Yeah, rattlesnake Shake, yeah. Too. And it's another she, bad one. What's another one? Jam like, and a half. Uh, <laughs> no. Yeah, there's, no. there's some bad ones on there. So many it's bad there, songs. They're just not And that's their big record. And even some of their hits suck. Like, Girls, Girls, Girls. It's a terrible song. It's an objectively bad song. Shout the Devil. When I first heard that, I was like, even when I liked hair metal, I didn't like sh- the song like, Shout at Your Devil. There's like 50,000 dads that would disagree with you right the now. Shout the friend. Devil is so boring. The song Looks That Kill, say what you will about that record, Looks That Kill has like a really like... Really good riff. It's really punchy and even, I would argue, even pretty heavy comparatively to the rest of the genre. It, it, you know, and I, I kind of like the, the shouty chorus of that, too. Shout out the devil. Is just, just like, I, I just feel tired when those first notes hit. Like, I just feel like I, I already want to go to sleep you when know I know something? That. That's the first song I got 100% on in Guitar Hero. Easy, oh, I never, mind nice, you. Nice, nice. I mean... I never played Guitar you don't, Hero. You don't have to call me, like, Van Eddie, Eddie Van Halen or anything, but... <laughs> the interesting thing about Motley Crue, and this could be the only interesting thing about Motley Crue, is they were the band that really perfected Power Ballad. So MTV used to have, like, a, a, a call-in afternoon show, Right. And, uh, you know, you'd vote on your favorite videos and, um, they held this record for something like, I think it was six months. Um, the song home sweet home. Right. Mm-hmm. So kind of a, a piano intro and it's, it's kind of the forerunner to the Bon Jovi song. The, what is that? The cowboy, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of all his songs anyway, but, um, Wanted Dead or, Wanted Dead or Alive. There you go. Um, it's kind of the forerunner to that. It's 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 that it's uh, between that and Bob Seger's "Turn the Page," right? Life on the road, and it's also lonely because I'm sure the dudes in Motley Crue were super lonely. Oh, um, but anyway, in so that documentary I read, some, or they said something where it's like sometimes they would have orgies three times a day or something like oh, that. Yeah, that, 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 that seems a bit very lonely, lonely guys. 
So, Seems a bit so low, it, yeah, back to the sadness and loneliness yeah. on the road. Um, <laughs> makes for a good story, at least, even though it might not be true. Uh-huh. So, um, and I think at that point, he was like married to some actress, Tommy Lee or something. So maybe he wrote it about her, but mm-hmm. um, just kind of a nice departure from a shout at the devil or something, or kind of a more screechy song, or whatever the hell. A, a, a kind of a cool video to go to. Um, and and you know everybody kind of took note of that like oh huh throw a little piano in there mm. I see I see a formula starting to emerge so so that's where you get every band does the first single and it's whether it's Skid Row or Poison or any of those bands um, you do the first single that's kind of fast and kind of heavy and like, oh yeah, those guys, yeah, they're, they, they got a new record coming out. They're back. And then you follow it up with a power ballad. <laughs> and that was the recipe for success for pretty much like eight years for these mm-hmm. bands. So, um, so I'll give it to them for that. And, and you know what, again, it's one of those songs that's kind of, uh, it's distinctive for that era. Um, it's a catchy song. I mean, as much as their songs can be well-written, that would be the one that's probably well-written. And uh, that's one, you know, on the radio, if I hear that, I'll, I'll keep it on. It means a little something, um, you know, junior high dances or whatever. Again, so they're imitating the folks that came before them. So I mean, they're they're now a lousy version of Van Halen and Quiet Riot. And it's just, least, I mean, you have to sort of look past a lot of obvious things to go, oh, yeah, there's something. Would I you like at least there. concede to me here that like all the bands that not even we're talking about just in general for for what the bands are lumped in with the whole 80s glam scene, that they're probably the most heavy-sounding band. Not necessarily the best, but at least the heaviest sounding of, like, more so than Bon Jovi or Poison or... No, I will not concede that. <laughs> Who do you think sounds heavier than Motley Rat. Crue? Rat does. I don't know. Do you agree with that, Michael? Yeah. Yeah, no, I think mm. I'm on... I mean, Rat's close. Me, like, especially with lack of communication. When you say, like, heavy... I mean, yeah. they, they did like one kind of heavy record, which is the Shout of the Devil one. Mm. And then I guess the Dr. Feelgood one is certainly is, a, is an interesting sounding one. Mm. Um, it's very well produced yeah, by Rock. that Bob Rock guy. So he got really good sounds out of that band who couldn't make good sounds. So, um, no, I, I would say they're not the heaviest, but w- one of one of them, okay. one of them. Mm. Actually, um, Metallica, the, the drummer Lars Ulrich, um, took that cassette uh, of um, Dr. Feelgood to his manager and said, that dude's drum sound, that's what I want. Find me this guy who can do that for me. Mm-hmm. And that's how they end up with Bob Rock mm-hmm. on the Black Album. Def Leppard is a great band. They're a great British <sighs> rock band. I don't know that their hair or metal um, they're most decidedly not metal, I think. <laughs> although, although they they are part of the new wave of British heavy metal. They came out the same time as Iron Maiden. They they toured the same clubs, uh, Budgie, all the Diamond Head, all those bands played together. You can hear as recently as probably like Pyromania. <laughs> part of that new wave of British heavy metal influence in there and songs like Coming Under Fire and maybe Stage Fright and some other ones. But it definitely gets more candy-coated after that. The Hysteria record, which is their largest, is 
my, by far my least favorite record from them. Although one could say that the, the producer, the sounds they get on that record and pyromania do stand up to the test of time. I mean, it's, it's a very unique sound that isn't necessarily dated to a specific date. So, you, yeah, fine. You can say that they came around the same time as all the other new wave of British heavy metal bands, you know, Priest, Maiden, Diamond Head, Budgie, whatnot. Um, here's the difference between Def Leppard and all of them. Uh, those other bands, they're actually good. And their music <laughs> was actually enjoyable to listen to. Um, so well, I, You pick on Twisted Sister for five seconds and he just gets brutal, doesn't he? <laughs> It's vicious. Yeah. yeah. Well, try and solve so that. If, if this, 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 this is my coping mechanism to destroy Def Leppard. Um, yeah. So I gave Pyro. So I listened to Pyromania because I hadn't listened to him in a, in a while. I was like, okay, let's listen with his fresh ears. Dave said Pyromania is a really good record. I was like, okay, let's give Pyromania a shot. Literally, I was 30 seconds in, I was laughing my ass off to rock. To rock, rock, to drop, whatever the fuck it's yeah. called. The, the, all, the, it was a good riff. The guitar sounded good. But the minute Joe Elliott started singing, all I was in my head was like, this guy sounds like he's trying way, way too hard to sound like Brian Johnson. That's all that was coming in my head. And the, the since Brian Johnson, ACDC, Back in Black, produced by Mutt Lang. Same producer. Great. But Brian Johnson, I like his voice. I don't like Joe Elliott. Okay. It just, it, it just, it, it came across as so forced to me. And it really, really, even when good guitar, good sounding guitars came in, um, just, just kind of makes me think of our friend, the little Tom York ripoff from last week. Yeah. You know, he, he, he just, he was, but not only was, it wasn't even that he was just trying so hard to be like really powerful. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Brian Johnson, he does, I say what you will by ACDC. I, especially when you listen to like hell's bells, it's fairly, it sounds fairly effortless when he, when he become, when he's singing at like full force, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, he definitely, he could definitely make it work. I don't think Joe Elliott could. And I'm sorry, perhaps the worst singer, the worst song that came out of this decade was Rock of Ages. I hate that song. Was well, a novelty song, but it, yeah. It, it's, but it was not treated like one. It, it for, me, so it, it, for me, it was a fun listen. Oh, I, no. Mostly because I listened to Pyromania as well, but I listened to it right after coming from Poison. Oh, so for me, yeah, this yeah. was a godsend. <laughs> <laughs> like, Def Leppard, Pyromania, new oh. favorite album. Like, but two, like Two good guitar players. Oh. Um... You know, I mean, just well produced. Mm-hmm. I, I like albums that sound unique, right? They don't sound like 10 other bands. And that's produced in such a way that the guitars are are, are forward and present and loud. Um, unlike some of the Motley Crue stuff, which is always, it sounds very thin sometimes. Yeah. You know, there's no I, bass in there. The guitars, oh. Quiet Riot especially, very tinny sounding guitars. Yeah, well, but the um, guitar wise, yes, I agree with the, when you talk about production with Def Leppard, I, I agree, but I never like the sound of their synth. The synths don't, they, they sound, they, they, those sound thin to me. Those sound pretty brittle to me. I don't really like That's, how the synth sounds. Yeah, and we differ on that, like, very much, because you you prefer the the songs in this style where it's it's very riff heavy, it's very, you know, it's it's more metal. I prefer the synth songs a lot. 
I it's, think it's, it has layers. It's a little bit sounds yeah. a little bit more produced and put together. It's it, to me, it just it 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 throws an element into there into the genre that isn't seen everywhere. Yeah, which kind of makes it. You know what? Honestly, different. I'm gonna say this. I I thought it was better done on the White Snake album I listened to than on Pyromania. Oh no, I can oh. I can agree with that too. I'm agreeing with that as well. But I'm just saying that I don't think Pyromania is as bad as you're making it out to be. I, I mean, it's it's regarded as a classic record. Oh, great, fantastic! So uh, I, I still think it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and Hysteria isn't great. Armageddon, it. Oh, yeah. I don't like I don't like Hysteria. They took a radical like left turn there, and they kind of dropped all the guitars out. It is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was basically dance music that they made. Dance oh, it's, it's, pop music. Like it's like like all, all I ever hear is pour some sugar on me and cherry pie, or like the strip club anthems. If you listen. Oh, yeah. If you listen to On Through the Night, that is new wave of British heavy metal, start to finish. You know what? Their early stuff is more palatable to me. I and will at least give too. you that. But, like, especially starting with Pyromania and onwards. There's, there's, there's high no and Dry is basically an ACDC record with a different guy singing. Yeah. I mean, sure, but not as good as them. And everything Pyromania onwards is just nothing really for me to listen to. Yeah, that's definitely their 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 peak. And I think they sold, like, I don't know. 15 million copies of Pyromania or something. It was an astoundingly huge uh, record, and but but, but not but not one that I like. Yeah. You know, but you know, I'll, I mean, I will, I will at least say this. Yeah, it is obviously very impressive that the drummer went on to continue to drum with without one oh, arm. Sure. Sure. So I mean, I'll give him that. Anyways, um, I think they're terrible. But you guys, what, what do you? How did you guys rank them? Yeah, for me, they're kind of right on the border of like the good and the okay. Mm-hmm. Um, just failed to cross that final threshold just because like it is, a, is I think it's an explosive album um but it it just it it could have just taken I don't know what that step was but it could have taken one more step to just get out of the hair metal uh stigma um and maybe it was more synthesizers maybe it could have been different take on guitars I don't know well, it, but yeah that's where I'm placing it right on the okay and good edge gotcha and you love like them Still do. I mean, like I said, it, it just, uh, I mean, 30 plus years later, I can still listen to Pyromania and, and there's a lot to like there. So I'm, I'm on board. Cool. What do we got next? Bon Jovi. <laughs> Yay. All right. You start us off, Michael. What about, what about John Bon Jovi <laughs> and the boys? Well, uh, let's start right off with saying I, I'm in, uh, I'll reiterate, I'm into the synths um, and the keys in Let It Rock. Or, um, it adds more life to the instrumentation, um, more than just distorted power chords. Um, both You Give Love and Living on a Prayer are, of course, or, sorry, not, yeah, You Give Love a Bad Name and Living on a Prayer, that's the ones. They're both classics, and I can understand why they're both hits. Even though Living on the Prayer is possibly the worst key change in music history. Is that so? I would argue it's pretty bad. I don't know, like a million karaoke singers, I think, would disagree with you. But, you know, I mean, it it is what it is. It, it, maybe it just, it just sounds so off when they go into it. It's just so abrupt. and So immediately when I dropped up, off is uh, the beginning of Social Disease. Yeah, do you, know what, do you know what that yeah. intro is? Oh, Sex noises just uh, just blaring in your was ears. Was this was this just full of? It's like wall. is it girls moaning or yeah, something? I yeah, I vaguely okay, remember this um, song. For me, this 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 is 
bottom of the barrel to me. Like again, this is I like I like I said, I really can't stand the, the really synthy stuff, and this is the most polished, clean, just bright, sugary music that you can get. I think that's why Bon Jovi was able to go beyond the '80s a little bit because he even made like a didn't he make like kind of a comeback like a few yeah. years back with mm-hmm, sure. a track that I forgot. Like, I think just inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, too. Yeah, I saw that. Amazing. If there's anything, if there's any band that kind of best resembles this idea of, quote, hair metal, is definitely Bon Jovi and uh, the magnificent uh, haystack that uh, sat atop his head for for most of the years he was popular there. Um, But it definitely... um, you know, the metal part isn't there for sure. Oh, I'm not even oh. sure the rock part is. Um, they're a pop band. And that's why they have this life past yep. the 80s, is they're able to write a catchy tune, and they have a name that can get it on a radio station. Um, the, the, would you consider Bon Jovi the smartest out of all these bands in terms of economically successful? Definitely, oh, sure. Definitely the most savvy. Sure, there we go. I, I'll, I'll give you that. There you go. So and what was uh, what was the song he had? It was just in the early two thousands too. Um, it was like a big another anthemic kind of song. Um, I, I know what it, what it is. I thought I think it's something to do with like water. It's slides. my life or something like that. Yeah, right? yeah. it's my life. Yeah. So this is like soccer. Soccer moms unite. Yeah, right? it's, like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's their third most popular song on Spotify under "You Could Have Love a Bad Name and Living on a Prayer." So you know. Go. Uh, the guy grew up in the industry. Famously, he started out as like a janitor at the mm-hmm. record plant in New York. His family's in in uh, the entertainment business. So, I mean, this is a guy who kind of knew what it was going to take to get famous, and he did that stuff. And, you know, he started out his first single, that song, Runaway, was made to be played on the radio. So that's what the guy does. So it's a little it's a little strange to have him in the conversation with like a twisted sister or a motley crew. Yeah, I know. So because um, he's he's way smarter and more polished than those dudes ever pretended to be. Um, but that also in the rock audience did not give him a lot of credibility. So again, I mean, you're really you're really looking at just a chunk of the audience, which is guys who will buy this but not admit it to their friends and then their girlfriends, and that was kind of the audience that was gonna buy his music and. Yeah. Again, I never saw a dude walking around with a Bon Jovi t-shirt on in the 80s. I think he would have been hopelessly ridiculed and never done that twice. Hmm. Yeah, I prefer the Circle Jerks Wild in the Streets to Bon Jovi's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh <laughs> a million times. Hell I'm, yeah. just gonna, I'm just going to leave my ranking at that. Um, uh, and I saw Pennywise. They played that song. I think Keith Morris came out on stage. I can't remember. But again, I mean, can you imagine just like sitting in some studio in Vancouver and you write this song, um, Living on a Prayer? And whoa, and just whoa, whoa. all these years later, everyone knows that song. Yeah. You can't go anywhere in the world and play that song, and somebody's going to be like, "Who's that? Mm-hmm. Never heard that before. That's kind of catchy. Who who's this band?" Um, so kind of astounding that this music that we're talking about, which is kind of subpar and it's all over the place, and you know, destroy the album and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, is still able to have life. This many years later, it's, it's just astounding because I'm not going to go back to the music I listened to in probably the early 2000s or something and feel the same way. And I don't know, like, what is the Vampire Weekend song that we're going to be singing 30 years from now? What's the 21 Pilot song it's, it's oh not that you're going to remember it's, you know what, five years from now? It's not that stuff. I think the, the stuff that brings back memories for at least our generation, not me and Andrew per se, but like a lot of people, it's those 
It's that Miley Cyrus and the Britney Spears. It's the 2000s pop that sure. people are going to remember. We're going to end off with Guns N' Roses. Yeah. So just go ahead. Just, 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 just well, tell I want, me why they're I want, terrible. I want, I want Dave to explain why, again, you don't think they're, you would consider them in the hair metal genre. Yeah, I mean, when we, when we look at what is traditionally thought of as hair metal, it's, it's going to be a lot more like poison than it is GNR. GNR is kind of that grand tradition of bands that want to be the Rolling Stones, but aren't as good. Mm. So, so they sort of reinvent what that is and update it for this new audience. So Aerosmith does this right in the seventies. We know that. And probably, you know, some other bands too, even like humble pie, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and in the eighties, you know, you've got GNR. So, in terms of like the, the kind of saccharine, really sweet music with really stupid lyrics, you know, interestingly enough, when that album comes out, no fanfare. This is a, a again, appetite. Yeah, this is this is a, a, a album that just kind of gets dropped. Nobody knows who the hell these guys are. Nobody really cares who they are. They're just another band from Los Angeles. And at that time, they had had a lot of trouble making that record. Drugs, misbehavior, all the stuff that you can fairly well guess Guns N' Roses did in 1987. So it just kind of like dropped and Geffen was like, good luck. And it took weeks and weeks and weeks. I mean, I think it was six months later, you finally get the single. And I think it was maybe even the third single or at least the second. I know Um, because Welcome to the Jungle does nothing when it comes out. They play the video a couple of times midnight, you know, headbangers ball on MTV. They just goes nowhere. And then sweet child of mine. Right. And everybody kind of adores this song because it's a well-written song. It's well-played. This is a unique vocalist. We're not used to this kind of a voice on pop radio. So, um, it becomes a huge hit. And then that record really takes off with paradise city. They're just kind of a good rock and roll band. I don't know if they're hair metal. I mean, you know, bandana metal, maybe for sure. Um, Top poison can be bandana metal. You know, yeah, that's that's true. We started a subgenre. You know, pop metal Mm -hmm. sang about girls and cars and the summertime and stuff. And these guys are dancing with Mr. Brownstone. So it was it's a little bit off tonally. But um, but it's definitely in the ballpark. And I'll tell you what, when those hair metal guys let GNR open for them, they learned just how powerful that band was. And I, I don't think they probably got a lot of other tours after that. Mm-hmm. So um, a, a great band as far as hair metal. I, I don't I don't know. Okay. Uh, that, that, that was not as painful as I thought it was going to be. But go ahead. They got Mike. one great record, though. The other two, I mean, you can cobble all the rest of those records together. And there's a couple of good songs here and there. I mean, yeah. You got one classic, undeniably good record in Appetite, and then everything else is just kind of eh. I'll, I'll get to the use, your, use your illusions in a second, but what, what, Michael, what, what was your take on GNR? What was your experience with them beforehand? I've, I've always I've always liked GNR. Like, I'll, I'll go back and it's more just like 
GNR is definitely one of those bands where um, my friends are into a lot more than I am, and they're going to put them on in the car, and I'm going to jam out to it with them. Um, Never have I gone in and searched out their discography unless you're counting a time where I wanted to appeal to my friends and I wanted to, like, be into the stuff that they were into. So I sought out, like, I remember next right next door to hell. That was my jam for, like, a good month or so. That was a good song. Um, what I really found interesting about this, about Guns N' Roses, is that um, Appetite for Destruction, you think, Welcome to Jungle, Paradise City, and Sweet Child Mine. <laughs> and I asked my mom, because we're, we're playing this in the car, and, and then Mr. Brownstone comes on. She's <laughs> like, oh, what's this? I'm like, you've never heard this? And she's like, no, I, I don't know anything off this album besides those hits. I'm like, I wonder if others would say the same. Sure. And we're, we've been talking about the death of the album and the rise of the hit. So, and GNR, I think, is a perfect example of that. You know, I, I definitely will say that Appetite has a lot of great people. Not a, maybe not a lot of great there are, there are a couple of those deep kits that aren't very good, like Anything Goes, yeah, not I mean, that great. I'm not sure there's any filler on that record. That's, that's really strong. It is. Oh, you yeah. know, My Michelle is fantastic. Night Train, yeah. uh, other than that Night really great. frustrating fade-out ending, that's like you can hear Slash doing some really awesome soloing, but then it's fading Rocket away. Queen. Rocket Queen's good great, one. too. But so and here's one of the reasons why I really want to do this episode. And remember, I said at the start, this is where I kind of began. I would like to take you a brief, back to a brief time period and when I was in eighth grade and I was playing a game. Do you ever play a game, Michael, or uh, called uh, Burnout Paradise? No, I have not. So it's, it's, it was like an old, like kind of an arcade racing game. It's like open world, but, you know, it's like mm-hmm. a set map and you can drive around, whatever. Um, but it, it's called Burnout Paradise. It was a part of a long, like, game series of the, the Burnout mm-hmm. series. And... Um, of course, I think like the, the, the city was unofficially named Paradise City. Huh. So what do you think the first song that plays when the menu starts up? Right. I remember when I first played that, first starting to play that game, it's like, wow, this is a really good game. It's almost like, I like that theme song. I really like that a lot. I looked it up and it's like, oh, here's a band called GNR. Okay. This is, I, I like the, the guitar intro. I like the buildup. I, you know, I thought this is great hooks. I thought, all right, this is pretty good. And um. Yeah. All pretty down, much. All downhill from there. Uh. No. <laughs> pretty up. Pretty uphill because okay. I wouldn't be a music. I. W- I probably wouldn't be sitting here without that song. Without this record. For a while, that was my favorite song. This appetite is my favorite album. I wouldn't say Junior R was my favorite band. That was probably ACDC around that time. So that was for me. But that's kind of where I began with the hard rock stuff, and especially with the hair stuff. And Junior was really my first, I guess, musical love. At least with that. Now, nowhere as strong as it is now as it was back then, but for me, they will always at least hold a special place in my heart because that's where I began. Paradise City was my first like song that I loved, and um, say what you will about it, I still think it's a great song, and I think they do well with it. It's a great build up. It, you, know, you know, I think it's really it's almost genius the way they wrote that song. It's it's a build up, but it never feels like it's it's not like stairway for stuff for for instance and um where that song you know it starts off very slow so it's fairy town there there is a there's a genuine buildup in paradise city but it never feels like mellow it always feels exciting and yet it still keeps you interested so i don't know i still really love that song and i still really think that 
record's great. And you know what? You, you mentioned Use Your Illusions. And you know what? I, I'll, yeah, as a whole, those records aren't fantastic. But, um, you know, even, you know, I think a really underrated single for them is You Could Be Mine. I still think that song kicks ass. I, I will always think it will. So, I don't know. For me, this, as far as, I kind of agree with Dave where I wouldn't, wouldn't lump them in with the other hair, hair bands of that point. But, you know, it's, it's, if if all the bands are considered there, I don't think it gets much better than GNR. So yeah, I'm kind of on the same page with you. Like, uh, you know, my introduction to rock and roll was Black Sabbath, and then followed Metallica, and then followed like punk rock and Nirvana and stuff like that. And GNR was somehow thrown in there. I looked at it, and then I was like, okay, that's there. I'm, I got to move on to this next thing because there's more new stuff than being so exposed to so rapidly. Um, but I can't deny they're just a, a hit machine and they um and they got an appetite for destruction is, is a without a doubt a classic album. Um and I can't deny that they're in the good category when it comes to hair metal, but I do definitely agree with you where they kind of transcend that title. Use your illusion. The illusion is that there's two records there. Um it's really one record, but they wanted you to buy two. Yeah. So an awful lot of filler and garbage on those. Oh, that's that's definitely the the height. The high peak and a very short career is just, you know, the debut record. And again, all these years later, I mean, these are these are songs that are part of pop culture. There's no one that doesn't know these songs. And they're just in culture, in sports, um, bumpers for talk shows. I mean, they're just they just live on. And um, I don't know, maybe someday. We'll get new music from them again. They, I, I really don't want that, honestly, at this point. I know Slash is still writing some pretty interesting music. I, with I, his I, other I like bands. the stuff he's been doing with Miles Kennedy. I know you're not particularly a fan of his, Dave, but like I, I still, I, I, I think still Slash has a lot to offer. But like as far as them making a record, I mean, I feel like I'd you be get, curious, but I'm not like super chopping at the bits for it. I feel like you get Duff and Slash together and say guys go write some songs that they're going to come back with something that's probably worth your time. Mm. Um, you're not going to certainly get, more so than Chinese democracy. I'll yeah. You're not going to get Izzy back and you're not going to get some of the other kind of major key factors to their success back in the band. But, um, but yeah, I mean a little, a little weird to say hair metal, but, but I kind of get why. Yeah. So there you go. The best hair in hair metal, Nikki six hands down that big <laughs> shaggy jet black, <laughs> Shouted the devil haircut, the best hair. It's yeah. it's so weird though. Like how maybe maybe second your pal D. How how did Nicky Six Nicky Six become such like a personality on his own? Because he I feel like he's more like at, the, at this point he's really, I feel like in the rock scene he's more famous than than Vince Neil, which is a weird thing to say to me. But like I don't know how that happened. I don't know. It's it's a weird. I'm gonna thing. leave it as a go look at Slash's Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you ever been on that? Yes. Oh, yeah. It's actually very entertaining. I, I don't use Instagram, but he was showing me this. It's like, you know what? I think I'm good still not using Instagram. Mm. <laughs> I don't need to see, that was a, the fact that he gave a wink on each one though. That's a, Oh yeah. That's 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 an it's, it's a weird touch. Anyways, so we've we been talking for way too fucking long. How long is this one? Oh, well over two hours at this point. We've we've talked about hair metal all this time, and all this time we could have been talking about Motorhead. Recommendations. Yeah, man. let's get this out of the way if anyone's still listening. Um, all right, I've got a band uh, I will recommend to you. I just It's one of these things where you start looking around on Spotify uh, for bands like, say, Mastodon or Sleep. You sort of go down the rabbit hole and then you find these other little bands that are sort of attached to them or recommended uh, through your search. So this band is called Lucifer. 
they formed in 2014 in Berlin. It's a trio uh, fronted by a lady whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Um, they have a new single out, uh, but they have two records. Uh, the most current one, I believe, is just called Lucifer. And uh, if you do want to check out one of their tunes, uh, Brent, if you want to drop some music in here, I would suggest the song Faux Pharaoh. sludgy um, rock with a little bit of classic rock mixed in. So are, do they sound like highests or something? A little bit. So it's kind of weird. If you can imagine what Mastodon might sound like if Stevie Nicks was fronting them. Kind of strange and weird oh, and hmm. kind of cool. So something a little bit different. Interesting. Can you go first, Andrew? Uh, yeah, so I'm going to... So I know... So the reason I picked this, because I know last um, week, Michael chose a song called Pleaser. Mm-hmm. Uh, what band was it again? Wallows. Wallows. So I, and then when he said that, it's like, I remember that there's a great band um, called the Suede Brothers. It's S-U-E-D-E. Um, they, and they have actually one of their, I guess, biggest songs. I use that in air quotes. It's not like they're that big because <laughs> they're not. They have a song called Pleaser that's also really good. mention this on the podcast yet but i'm from ohio the cleveland area it's not something i like to share <laughs> that often but you know um that that is where i'm from and these guys are actually from cleveland so i guess there's some hometown representing rep, rep, representation for me even though it doesn't look like they've released anything since 2013 so they're probably not even still touring but i, I think when they were making music they were like pretty young they were like in their mid-teens so yeah they got four records out they're all pretty good. You should check them out. They're kind of a really heavy, hard. They're blues heavy, bluesy, hard rock band. Like they kind, they kind of got a bunch of sounds in there. They kind of got elements of Sabbath, um, both Ozzy and Dio in there. They got they're very they're very loud and full sounding. And um, I don't know how else to word that, but yeah, definitely check out the song Pleaser. It's a really good one. Um, yeah, so that's that's my recommendation. Um, yeah, lastly, um, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, recommend a band, uh, that I, I, I know personally, um, it, it, speaking of friends that got me into rock and roll, Black Sabbath and, uh, you know, Metallica and all that, this is the guy who kind of did it. It's the, it's, uh, Nick Green and his brothers with their band Samaritan. Uh, if you're listening, how you doing, man? Hope you're doing well, but, uh, I haven't talked to you in like five years, but you know, hope the band's doing well. Uh, but yeah, the band's called Samaritan. They released an album called How Do You Feel? 
um, last year. Just a good, like, kind of classic rock revival with mixed with, like, kind of some indie undertones. Um, I personally like the song The Fall. Um, the acoustic track on there, I think it's very beautiful. The Fall singer before i only know the instrumentalist but um yeah he's he's very soulful um you can definitely lay down amazing vocals and i think they have a lot of potential and i hope they go far you know i might be biased with this but uh i haven't talked to this guy in a good five or so years so if he can get a little something from that it's our payola scandal he's got they've got 23 listeners on spotify come on nice. go go and make that like a good 50 come let's on. double that yeah absolutely all right <laughs> Anyways, thank you. If you somehow made it through this entire episode, I applaud Applause you. you. Um, thank, thank you, Dave, for coming and joining us and talking. Um, I'm sure there's going to be some other topic that you're going to force your way into and force my way into. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> that and I'm sure it'll be a blast, um, as well as, as this episode was. Um, thank you very much. Next week, I don't know what we're doing. It's a bit up in the air. Toss up. It's easy. We're either going to talk about Dinosaur Jr., which yeah. is the one that Michael really Michael wants to do. Michael deserves this one. I think he does. Or you, or or Betty, you're probably what you've deserved is probably something that's going to really torture me. Yeah. Don't just just be easy on me, please. How about you two retros? I knew you. Were, I, I was that was the, that was the joke. I was I was thinking so, about making, so but I didn't want to year. plant the seed. I was ten feet away from the edge, man. <sighs> really? Yeah. Wow. Jesus. No <laughs> one should have to be that close. Ford I Field. I <laughs> saw their, their famous show at uh, the Pontiac Silver Dome, the uh, Zoo TV that was oh, broadcast on never. MTV during the MTV Music Awards. Hmm. Very cool. Never. Anyways, <laughs> um, so so or we see either that or and you two would be a perfect band for this segment. We could also for for, for Michael to put in the second. Um, we might be having a, a guilty pleasures episode. We're talking about our guilty pleasures, and if it works out, um, Elio might be coming up nice. for that yeah. from from last from last season. So uh, expect one of those two. I don't know. Cool. Uh, anyways, please leave. You've been listening to to my horrible voice for too long, and yeah, have a nice day. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.